The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to Blogging Theology. Today we're delighted to speak to Brother Abdullah Al Andalusi. How are you, Abdullah? Wa alaikum assalam. I'm I'm great. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, thank you for having me on. And uh, it's an honor and a pleasure. Pleasure to have you. Abdullah Al Andalusi is an international speaker, thinker, and intellectual activist for Islam and Muslim affairs. He is an instructor and head of the Department of Occidentology, which is the study of the West at the Qur'an Institute, and a researcher at the I3 Institute, and co-founder of the discussion forum, the Muslim Debate Initiative. Now, with the ongoing heated debate taking place between the political left and right, it's no surprise to see many Muslims getting entangled in the broader discourse on social and political issues. And this itself has caused divisions within certain Muslim circles, with some Muslims expressing closer affiliations with and attachments to these diverging political spectrums. However, from an Islamic standpoint, what should be the correct approach to all this? We hope to gain some insights and perspective on this question from Brother Abdullah. Abdullah, whenever you're free, the floor is all yours. Okay. Uh, inshallah, we'll be uh, going through some uh, quite a few concepts and ideas. Uh, some might be uh, a little bit unfamiliar to yourself, uh, certainly some of the terms and things. So just please stop me whenever and uh, yeah, just grill me on, on on the terms I use and so on and so forth. So inshallah, I'll just share my screen and um, we can get started. Okay. Uh, okay, bismillah and begin. Great. Okay, yeah, so um, I think this really starts with the question uh, does Islam fit anywhere or to be a uh, 
orthodox or mainstream or normative Muslim, whatever whatever adjectives you like to use. And personally, I don't like to use any adjectives. Just Muslim is sufficient. Uh, where does it fit? Is it does it look like left wing? Does it look like the right wing? Um, where should Muslims kind of situate themselves uh, in in terms of they seeing the manifestation of the of the the true aspect of their deen, or is the question uh, as Muslims in the West, for example, um, buttress between Islamophobes and uh, those kind of demanding uh, gender reassignment of our children, possibly, or or just advocating to our children that they uh, gender reassignment or um, or sexuality is something that. Uh, they can engage in, in in any kind of choice that they uh, they make. Uh, is this something that we should now seek allies um, on either side, or which side best fits us in terms of where do we seek allies from? Of course, the question is, do we seek allies in the first place, um, and in in what sense? Uh, of course, we're reminded in the Quran about uh, not seeking um, awliya from the, the people of the book because they're allies; they are uh, awliya amongst themselves. Um, to be careful, to, to be allies with people who might not follow our criterion, our, our basis for good and bad, um, but rather we could just cooperate in the good. But then that question is, where do you cooperate in the good? So there's a lot of questions that are flying around uh, in the minds of Muslims. Um, many Muslims have looked to outside thinkers, outside ideologues. And I'm not just talking about people looking at um, like, like Jordan Peterson uh, or uh, kind of Andrew Tate before he became Muslim. Because people have often raised the alarm that why are Muslims kind of following these individuals, but Muslims unfortunately have been following Western figures for quite a long time, many many decades, uh, and maybe even over a century. This has been occurring amongst Muslims, uh, where we seeking answers to anything except from uh, an Islamic basis. It's almost like as soon as we hear this, because we're so defeated and defeatist, as soon as we hear the slightest thing mentioned by. Uh, a non-Muslim uh, thinker that resembles anything like what what Muslims aspire to, we jump on the the thinkers th thinking wholesale or on the ideology wholesale uh, without kind of realizing that well, wait a second, they have a different basis from us and they have a different understanding of good or bad, and they're not a source of our guidance for what is good and bad. So anyway, I've said a bunch of stuff. Now let's kind of. Uh, get into the, the technical terms of what we mean by left wing and right wing before a discussion. Uh, the devil is in the details, they say, or the devil is in vagueness, actually. And the way to dispel that is um, kind of precision in language and precision of definitions. Okay, khair inshallah, bismillah. So when we refer to left wing and right wing, we refer to ostensibly these key Western ideologies. Uh, so you have the most dominant ideology in the world today, uh, the most dominant Western ideology concocted in the Western Enlightenment, which we'll get to in a second, uh, it's called liberalism, uh, although the current iteration is called social liberalism, or people just call it liberalism for short. Americans call it new liberalism, um, but now everyone just calls it liberalism because old liberalism is, uh, well, liberalism failed in the 19th century, and uh, now people just call anyone who follows that uh, classical liberals. Um, now, that's the first kind uh, of, of what I call the of the madhahib of the West, the schools of thought of the Enlightenment thinking. Uh, the second madhab, the second school of thought, is um, uh, conservatism, and conservatism is something 
which people often really misunderstand for what it actually is. It, it arose in the Enlightenment era. It's not something that just means uh, to be anti-Enlightenment or to be to go back to old values before the Enlightenment necessarily. It's actually a very specific ideology um, which arose in Enlightenment, which we will discuss. But when we mean by right wing, we often refer to uh, conservatives as the manifestation of the right wing. Um, and the third ideology is socialism or the third madhab, you could say, although it has a little mini madhab of its own known as Marxism, uh, Marxist socialism. Uh, not all, But not all socialists are Marxists, although all Marxists are socialists, which we'll, we'll, we'll cover what that means uh, in a second. But generally speaking, when we refer to the far left, we're referring to socialists and Marxists. And of course, there's also uh, neo-Marxism, uh, but most people don't know it by the name neo-Marxism. Uh, they know it by the name woke, right? And so it's what, it's the ideology of um, people often attributed to identity politics uh, in the West um, on kind of dividing up the, the, the people into classes based on attributes where it is, you know, women versus men, uh, and men are meant to be the dominant class, the patriarchy, uh, to, uh, in America, the white supremacy, uh, the, the, the white class and the white supremacy versus the other um, racial classes. Um, we also have uh, those who are um, heteronormativity, um, which is basically kind of like patriarchy or uh, white supremacy, but in sexual orientation now. So the heteronormativity where those people who are heterosexuals have privilege against those who are queer or following different um, sexualities. Uh, and and then the same thing with ableism and uh, so the, those who are abled or disabled. And there's many attributes that they divide um, society into and then engage in an attempt to uh, rectify the privilege given to one class. And this rectification of this privilege is called social justice. Right, That's what you might have heard of, know, know it as. And of course, now, last but not least, it, now, technically speaking, this isn't actually a school of thought per se, um, but, but they, they kind of, it's more like a, a wave, uh, a, a second wave uh, of neo-Marxism. Uh, some people call it post-Marxism. Um, obviously, technically speaking, it's called post-structuralism or emerged from post-structuralism, which I'll, I'll discuss in a second. But we, everyone knows it as postmodernism uh, and uh, or political postmodernism or, or political and ethical postmodernism, where you get the kind of ideas where um, uh, there's a, a rejection of all grand narratives, of all uh, kind of uh, ideas that pigeonhole individuals and individuals should be left to determine their own narratives of themselves um, and their own truths. So these are the kind of things which uh, is a bit more to, more than that. It's a bit more wackier, you could say, um, in some of its claims, which we'll go into. But these are generally speaking what we kind of mean by left wing and right wing ideologies, and these are the kind of things that many Muslims have fallen into. Each and every one of these that you'll find Muslims that have fallen into those things, um, and yet still identify themselves as Muslim um, quite quite strangely. Uh, and we'll we'll discuss why that is. Uh, a strange phenomenon, um, how they don't see a, the disconnect between Islam and these things. They don't see how these things are actually in opposition. So let's kind of begin with um, where we get left wing and right wing from. Uh, we get it from the French Revolution, uh, the left wing or the right wing of the National Assembly in uh, during the, the, the latter half of the 18th century. What happened, of course, is there was 
an issue regarding the the French monarchy. Now, the monarchy there was corruption, there was problems, there was uh, people starving. Uh, so, what to do with the aristocrats and the and the monarchy? And so, those people who wanted to uh, to keep the monarchy and say, well, look, maybe we'll just have it as constitutional, a constitutional monarchy with with, with some limitations. Um, they formed the right wing, uh, but then those people who wanted to abolish the monarchy, who want, who said that look to advance the idea that we're all equal, uh, to advance society uh, into what they thought would be the future, uh, should be progress, would be that every, everyone should be made equal, and therefore they shouldn't be a monarchy. And those formed the left wing. But of course, the the more uh, wacky of the two sides were on the fringes, right? So those who wanted to take the monarchy back to its its heyday of of its absolute power when they felt that France was at its most powerfulest up until this point, uh, they were on the extreme right, the far right. And of course, those who wanted um, to even potentially abolish the aristocrats themselves, as well as property, um, the, the ownership of the property of, of large tracts of land and property by the aristocrats, um, they sat on the far left of and the far fringes of the of the left wing so this is where we get the idea of right wing and left wing it's in essence it's related to i suppose the status quo you could almost say it's related to the overton window for anyone knows about the overton window about what is acceptable topics to talk about um uh within there's an overton window you have well the mainstream the mainstream ideas you have what was what used to be in vogue in uh kind of uh, fading out of the window and you, the more fringe radical ideas, which not everyone follows, but are coming into fashion gradually. And this is the Overton window um, as it proceeds. You could almost say that left wing and right wing actually reflect that. The right wing refer to um, things they want in the, to conserve in the past, which they think to be deemed to be useful, um, or they, they can include those who are accommodating of some new ideas, but not too far accommodating on not going it, not, doing it too radically or too quickly. Uh, on the left wing, it's about change, right? And it's about changing towards or realizing the enlightenment ideals more quickly. That's the more far left you go. The more center left you go, the more they want that they want to make change, uh, but the, the the more prudent they are in making the change as well. So, and then to the point that they they reach center and the center is, is a, a kind of, a, um, I always deem to be the place for compromise between the two, the, the median point of the compromise between those who want to make change and those who want to conserve. And that's really where it comes from. It's, it's as, almost as arbitrary as that in, in origin, uh, but it's used to measure the Western schools of thought um, as to how much progress they want to make in the Enlightenment ideals and how much they want to conserve um, the institutions of society that are deemed to be the bedrock of stability uh, upon which the enlightenment ideals are better kind of protected but still related to the enlightenment ideals and i'll just show you uh, i made this nice little uh, colorful graph here um now this is probably very confusing for everyone when you first see it uh, but uh, let me explain so uh, the enlightenment I idea has a basic concept, right, which is um, man as his own sovereign. What that means is that when they removed revelation from the equation of thinking about how human societies should be organized politically, um, how they should be uh, managed, and uh, what's the starting point for managing human societies, 
So despite the fact that many people that were coming up with this doctrine were Christians, but they felt it was just a pragmatic approach. Like, okay, let's just start off with a basis for organizing society. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly, but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. What do we know about society? It's made of human beings. Okay, well, human beings are the starting point. So let's start from the basis that there's nothing higher than the human being, nothing greater than the human being. So not society, not religion, and certainly not God from their perspective. Uh, even though these were Christians who believed that God ultimately was greater than human beings, of course, but they felt let's just start uh, as, a, as a practical basis, as, as a a philosophy that can unite people because Christians were not united on biblical interpretations. Um, and so let's find another basis to unite people other than biblical interpretations. Uh, now, I, I won't go too much into the Christianity aspect, of course, uh, but um, uh, Christian legal uh, theory and, and political theory up to this point have already been a long-term amalgamation of uh, Germanic legal practices with uh, Roman legal practices and Roman, Roman understanding of the laws, uh, with, uh, with an aspect of, of the Bible kind of coloring, coloring that. Now, generally speaking, Christians really didn't have so much disputes on the political laws of the state, I, 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 but the Bible wasn't really a mainstay of use for it, uh, although it influenced a lot of the understanding of what should be banned. You know, it's like, for example, banning prostitution, would be something which the 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 Bible would suggest would would command, uh, but not banning alcohol, for example. Um, however, here's the issue: it was because the Christians, um, especially Protestants, between each other, Calvinists, Lutherans, and Anglicans, uh, because they fought each other on difference of opinion concerning the rib, right? What is the the unseen, so to speak, um, and how the Bible, uh, how to interpret such things in within the Bible. Um, on you know uh, on interpretation on the transubstantiation uh when uh what about when when christians believe that they're having the, the they're taking communion the body of christ the blood of christ wine and bread is it literally the blood of christ or is it metaphorically the blood of, blood of christ um this kind of debate would lead christians to kill each other basically or uh, in many cases or just torture each other to save each other's souls 
but because in a way what happened with Protestantism once it separated from the church was that every Christian was a church unto themselves. Uh, they were a jamaah unto themselves, potentially. Any Protestant could simply be their own jamaah uh, because they'd have their own unique interpretations. And then because Lutherans and Calvinists were torturing each other, killing each other, uh, based on what they deemed to be heresy on having difference of opinion on matters of ghaib, right? matters that you can't see, of course, uh, and how those are interpreted in from the, the, the Bible, the discussion of the matters of ghaib. Because of that, um, people felt that it was a growing movement of people that felt that the Bible is not the best basis to manage political society because um, you can't stop individual Christians from having interpretations and then they're going to start killing each other based on, on believing that they're helping their fellow Christian not be a heretic by burning them, um, beating them, torturing them, and or just outright killing them. So um, to protect the other Christians from their heresy. So because of that specific, uh, that was a major issue. They felt we need to go somewhere else. We need to find a different basis uh, for managing society, a basis that would be universal. And of course, they found it in an argument uh, which was popularized with, you know, uh, science was developing the idea of natural law, um, you know, with Kepler and Newton uh, was quite popular, but this was natural law for, for physical things. Uh, what about for human beings? What's the natural law for human beings? So they felt maybe we could apply some kind of scientific method on, on um, human beings, although they, they didn't really. But what they felt was they felt they could find something universal about human beings from observing the, the natural world, quote unquote, which they, they still didn't. And um, it first came with an idea from Hugo Grotius about how to manage international relations between different countries who, who have different law systems. How are you going to manage a means of expectation between these different countries? So they, the idea that natural law, uh, where humans, in essence, humans are speculating as to what how humans should be living to with each other, um, becomes the universal basis that upon which there'll be no ikhtilaf, no difference of opinion. Of course, the irony is uh, that there would be a lot of ikhtilaf um, on on political um, and social ethical thought to the point that it would cause wars again, uh, massive wars, actually. <laughs> um, that's the irony, of course. They just substituted one basis of ikhtilaf for a, a different, perhaps even worse basis of ikhtilaf, because at least Christians had some common understanding or agreement as to what was sinful practices and um, sinful uh, kind of uh, pervasive uh, uh, issues within society that can be banned by the state and wouldn't face objection by Christians who'd all agree that these are banned, these are sinful things to be banned. Um, so, in this sense, what was developed was the first idea that the individual owns themselves. Right, they are the sovereign of themselves. They own themselves. You are the property of yourself, and this is the key doctrine of the Enlightenment. Um, you could call it individualism. In a, in a sense. Um, now, here's the thing, that if we're all individuals and we all own ourselves, um, then we all equally own ourselves. Uh, we are we are all partners, uh, so to speak, in owning ourselves, and therefore no one can, uh, can own more than themselves, so we're all equal in that regard, because all property it would be equal there. Uh, there's no way to differentiate. And so from that was the, came the idea of that the society should have no uh, should recognize no higher right than the individual's rights as well as um that all individual rights must be equal now the question is where do you set these rights and, and to to what basis and in what what do you mean by equality and this is where the devil 
well, you could argue the devil came out from the first doctrine there, but the devil was uh, the, the the devil was further in the detail that would come from this. And so, it it depends now uh, whether you want to stress that in the political sense of how the state will now manage the society. If you want to stress individualism more, such that the state should be non-interfering in the individual's freedoms, um, then uh, you will follow this branch of the Enlightenment. Um, and if you, if but if you want to stress that all individuals are equal and that has ramifications which uh, are, should be made a priority in order to guarantee their individual rights, then you'll follow this branch um, of the Enlightenment here. And so let's dis I'll, I'll give you a brief discussion, but we're going to go through these very quickly. Um, so the first uh, clear basis was liberalism itself. Um, you, could argue, you could argue that John Locke was the, the father of this, uh, of, the, of the terms of liberalism. Um, and liberalism is very simply um, starting from the basis of political individualism, whereby you apply individualism, uh, you stress individualism uh, in politics as the first basis for politics and then equality afterwards, you could say. So every individual um, should not be molested by the state as long as they don't molest um, other people. Right? Um, but, uh, of course, the state can implement uh, such laws as for the common good, uh, which is what John Locke did allow, as long as it applies to everyone um, equally. Um, so as long as the laws apply to everyone equally. Now, this is where the liberal will say that equality is satisfied. Equality is satisfied simply that the laws are the same for everybody. Mm -hmm. right, that's equality satisfied. Um, they Now, John Locke made a, a, an interesting point about freedom, actually. Um, and in this one sense, he didn't believe that freedom is what an individual can do whatever they want. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't believe that. Uh, what he believed was simply that uh, freedom simply means to be under laws which are known and universal. That's all he understood by freedom. Um, you could live in a state very that's very restrictive and still be liberal, um, as long as the laws apply to everybody and you know what the laws are. What he says is not freedom, of course, and one of his main issues, which he was responding to Thomas Hobbes, who was arguing that you can have a st the leader can do whatever he wants, like he can do whatever he wants. If he wants to kill people, he can kill people, but because he's always better than the alternative. The alternative is fitna, is <laughs> is is anarchy. Uh, is anarchy and so on. Uh, uh, so John Locke was responded to Thomas Hobbes, um, although Thomas Thomas Hobbes you could argue is the grandfather of the Enlightenment because. He was the first person who argued, you could say that um, natural law should be the basis for domestic laws, um, or, or, or at least the most popular person saying so. So John Locke argued against him saying, I, I, I take the idea of natural law, but I don't take the idea that the leader can do whatever he wants. I, I reject that because if he's killing you, then isn't, doesn't that go against the, ver the very reason why you have government in the first place? It's meant to protect your rights and property. What's the point of having a government that takes away your rights or can transgress it at whim, right? You're, then, you're, then you are a slave. You're a slave to the leader because the leader can kill you whenever he wants or do whatever he wants to you. If you, if you displease him, then you're his slave. You're not free. And in a sense, um, as Muslims, um, this is something that uh, we, we, don't, we don't adopt, but is, is replicated to an extent in the, in the Sharia because... From our perspective, the leader can't do whatever they want. They're limited by the Sharia. And uh, if the leader can do whatever they want, and we allow that so, then we are slaves to the leader. We're not slaves to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Only Allah can give us, abs can give us 
um, orders as he wills, of course, which we always believe will be just and good, but it, only he has absolute power to say whatever he wants over us and to do with us as he pleases, no one else. Anyway, so um, if, you're the, if you adopt that uh, branch of the Enlightenment, you are a uh, liberal. Um, however, if you believe that individualism or, or the, the rights of the individual are something which... Uh, formulas don't produce, but um, society, society, social conditions and social institutions produce the freedom of the individual, produce a society that respects people's individual rights uh, to uh, to go about their business uh, as long as they don't molest other people. Uh, if you believe that it was the social conditions, if you believe that it was special conditions that only arose in Europe at a certain time that led to this rather than simply just the haphazard in, in invention of for these formulas, then you're going to be a conservative. A conservative believes in political individualism too, right? They're not collectivist. They simply posit, uh, they would say they are in a way, um, this is from Edmund Burke here, but also you could say um, uh, David Hume um, was a conservative in a the sense. They are, uh, they call them, they view themselves to be really truly scientific uh, more than their, uh, their, their liberal cousins. Why? Because they simply say that um, culture and the social institutions have been developed by centuries of trial and error experimentation, producing stability and an equilibrium that has been developed by over centuries by your ancestors. Who are you to change that, uh, knowing the potential that when you make a change, you could cause catastrophic effects? And Edmund Burke always looked, pointed to the French Revolution, how crazy it went, right? Um, they, uh, they, they beheaded so many people, they put ISIS to shame. Uh, they, and they, they did it, they want, and of course, because it was the Enlightenment and, there's all, and they were you know, developing new ideas and technology, they developed a machine to do it very efficiently called the guillotine, right? So it was a very efficient device to behead because uh, it was the beheading so many heads, you need, to, you need to make it more efficient. So Edmund Burke pointed to the, the chaos uh, that was happening in, in France, France, and this actually, in a way, uh, propelled him to uh, set up a school, Not maybe not consciously, he just was making arguments, but it was to set up this, you could say, what would be the conservatives, um, who initially had been part of the, uh, the Whigs. Um, the Whigs, would, you could call them the proto-liberals, if you'd like, um, in, uh, in UK uh, kind of history, parliamentary history. They were the ones who, were, who believed in human progress. There's an idea that the humans society could be improved um, by changes and developments in technology and in, um, and in law and so on and so forth. So you can improve human society. So conservatives emerged from them, uh, from, from the Whigs, uh, as opposed to the Tories, who were those who were viewed to be uh, people that wanted to preserve tradition of the past. Right, so you could call them the proto-conservatives, but the the actual conservatives emerged from the Whigs, um, and when they realised that you can't let the Enlightenment go too far too fast, right? It's 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 dangerous, and that's where conservatism arises from. It really, and it's, it's that's its simple creed, which is. Um, stability is the most important thing because you're not going to have rights in the midst of, of chaos, but that rights of the individual should be protected and that individuals do have rights pertaining to uh, themselves as sovereign beings. The conservatives agree with this. 
they they don't disagree with this. They are from the Enlightenment. They are not, uh, you know, people uh, which you might call, you know, uh, bib, uh, people believing in the Bible from and uh, wanting to replicate medieval Christianity and its circumstances. No, 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 no. They are the product of the Enlightenment, and they are the children of the Enlightenment themselves. They just have a certain basis. And when they go to the Bible, when they go to Christianity, uh, and which they which many of them respect, they view it simply as as good teaching, good instruction based on the wisdom of the ancients that developed stability, that developed good family, um, that developed the, the things needed for, for human thriving of the individual. That's simply why they, some of them might look fondly at the Bible. Uh, and although some of them might be actual, you know, physical Bible thumpers, as they say, um, to quote an American um, uh, slur, I suppose. Um, like if, you, if you're a Christian in America, uh, and many Christians that we've encountered, me and you, of course, uh, who are really devout Christian, or they appear to be devout Christians, but they always, and, and, and they always uh, appear to believe in the freedom of the individual, the freedom of expression, uh, uh, at least in theory, um, and and they they're very much defending their own freedom of expression, their own right to express their different ideas, to disagree with government, disagree with, with or with um, uh, social trends. Uh, to demand that Christianity uh, is is protected, not especially privileged though, but more that their practice of Christianity is not um, compelled away from them or their children in schools and things like this, that they can teach their children as they see fit uh, because their children are under their, their control or guardianship until they reach maturity. Um, this you and you wonder that. Wait a second, you're but you're a person that believes in the Bible, but you don't you you don't practice the punishments that are in the Bible or the prohibitions. Uh, you don't demand that these prohibitions become actual law, uh, but you just want the right to rail against them to speak out against them. That's strange to me. We say you're you're a liberal Christian almost, and they'll say no, I'm not a liberal Christian. I, I'm a conservative. Um, that's why that's where it is. They they are children of the Enlightenment. They just happen to f to believe in the Bible. Well, and, uh, according to our standards, all these people are modernists. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, oh yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, because uh, if they were, uh, I mean, basically conservative fundamentalist Christians would, in reality, be considered modernists. You know, in terms of Muslim standards, at least, in terms of how they treat their religion. Oh, um, oh, oh well, very much so. So, um, modernism. Uh, to to explain to the audience is um, is, is a, a I suppose a term that was developed in the West to refer to the the uh, world order that they were establishing, but more specifically their their own phase of existence um, uh, after the Enlightenment. So after the Enlightenment, they'd, they'd call it the modern era. Um, and so anyone that is calls to that is a modernist. Of course, there would be a, a new movement um, arguing that postmodernism has already come upon us as a, a a ad advance beyond modernism, uh, which we'll get to later on. Anyway, um, so that's generally speaking what you might call this is the this is the the right wing. Um, liberalism, as I mentioned, uh, failed in nineteenth century. Um, the concentration of wealth uh, was so bad that the average person suffered um, a lack of workers' rights in factories. Uh, if you lost a limb. Uh, working in the factory and you know no one's going to support you. you you were done for that was it that was the end of you uh, basically no one's going to look after you unless you had family to look after you um so uh, you had i mean if you felt that you know in this day and age the one percent which own 50 percent of the world's wealth and of course uh 50 of the world's people own one percent of the world's wealth if you think that 
kind of equation is bad in the 19th century with the Rothschilds and Bilderbergers and these massive conglomerates, especially in America. Um, it was the 1% owned 80% of the mm. wealth. It was really uh, chaos. Um, so in such a time where, the, you know, children could be employed as minors, all right, and that was deemed to be fine, um, where if you entered into a contract and then you defaulted from contract, or even if you arrived late to work, that your boss uh, could prosecute you and even um, send you to debtor's prison or, or even uh, to a type of uh, servitude, uh, to fulfill your contract, um, that was the 19th century. Um, sure, no one was was going to stop, was going to make you sign the contract. No one's going to compel you. You have freedom to enter in by consent, but then you're bound by your your word. You must fulfill that contract, and you'll be bodily compelled uh, to fulfill that contract. That's the kind of 19th century liberalism that we we saw. Uh, this this started a, a change, um, mainly because the liberals were, were perhaps afraid of socialists, perhaps, uh, maybe because the, the argument was made to liberals, um, like uh, the famous U UK politician uh, Lloyd George, who argued that, you know, it's true that man cannot live on bread alone, uh, but man equally cannot live without bread. That was a famous statement, he said. Um, so man cannot live without uh, with bread alone was a statement that man needs to have more than just food. They have to have freedom and culture and all kinds of things. But he reversed it, saying that, but equally, you can't live without bread, i.e. there's no point having freedoms if you basically have no food and you're starving. Um, this is where you see Charles Dickens talk about how the the conditions of London were so horrific in his uh, in his books. Um, this is the time. So liberalism failed. Um, it was deemed to be impractical and perhaps on the verge of leading to people to revolt against it, even though people were supposedly free. So what developed was instead of just um, equality under the law, it became uh, equal opportunity. Um, and that's where the poor people were, were going to be guaranteed to have education for the, their young so that the young who are intelligent, who have merit, can actually then become entrepreneurs because of their merit to, to gain positions and jobs they wouldn't be able to have uh, afforded uh, to be educated to 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 be um to to get uh, in the past so uh social liberalism but in america um i would say you guys even though you're you're actually canadian but um you, american american knows it as as the as new deal uh, or new liberalism as it was called um and in england we called it social liberalism so it was basically equality of opportunity um this was when you started to see um arguments made for uh, welfare um in in europe you saw arguments made for of course uh, state state welfare um, health healthcare systems which are funded by the state um but also we see this is where you see the civil rights movement in america uh, under social liberalism argued that even though um black people and white people in in the southern states in america are equal under the law in theory right in theory because the the constitution required um the the american constitution had already for almost a century required that everyone is equal under the law that wasn't a new thing that the civil rights movement developed what they did was as they abolished um de facto inequality under the law uh, but also segregation they argued that segregation is denying equal opportunity okay so segregation denies equal opportunity so because of that um they argued that uh, it, segregation is is unconstitutional, and that's all because of social liberalism. Old form of liberalism would have said 
segregation, no problem. If you don't want to let people of a particular race uh, into your shop, for example, well, then it's your shop is your property. You can do with it as you want. Right? You can say you put a sign up saying, was it um, no blacks, no Irish? And that was a, a, a case in, the, in England at some point and, and also maybe in America. Whereas um, in social liberalism, they'll say, no, uh, you're denying everyone's right to equal opportunity. All right. And so that is now um, why it became social liberalism. Um, however, if you if you want to go back to the old to the heyday um, of the good old quote, the good old liberalism, uh, if you want to be a Salaf of, of, of liberalism, uh, um, you might be a libertarian. All right. And a libertarian. Um, they follow a liberalism that was even purer than even classical liberalism, liberalism was because classical liberalism did have state in some state interference beyond simply a police force, a fire brigade or an army. Mm. Right. But if you're a libertarian, it's only that only a police force, fire brigade, army. The state doesn't interfere with anything else beyond those things. No regulations, no, no parking regulations. No, no, nothing you know, for your car. That kind of stuff is all deemed to be unjust. So if you want to follow a liberalism that never really existed, um, then you, uh, you want to be a pure, pure on the doctrine, then you're going to be a libertarian. And that's basically the, 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 um, well, this is the, this technically is the right wing, but many people who are right wing are also libertarians, right? Which is weird, isn't it? It's strange. Like, uh, cause for, cause technically speaking, the libertarians don't, don't necessarily care about um, preserving family structures or social institutions at all. They just want to follow what they deem to be um, the uh, the uh, the older form of liberalism, which is in the past, and therefore they are on the right wing because it's in the past. It is an older form. Right? Um, they they would say we're just conserving the original spirit of the American Constitution, which was meant to be libertarian. They argue this is what they would say. Okay, uh, that's so, be, that. so basically libertarianism. Uh, I mean, they would want minimal government intervention, right? Minimal, taxes, very minimal, minimal, yeah. yeah. Minimal as possible, except, uh, you know, uh, I guess the only exceptions are, yeah, funding the police for the, for the, for the sake of protection of property, pretty much. Um, and maybe. Yeah, they, but. What they would say um, as, as minimal as possible, the other liberals would say as minimal as necessary. And what is necessary uh -huh. d differs, yeah. <laughs> right? The necessity differs, yes. Yeah, because yeah, they'll say social liberals would say that it is necessary that everyone has equal opportunities. So they will demand that. Uh, this is now, when you talk about liberals today, they all fall into this. Because technically speaking, classical liberalism now is right wing because it is, it is, it was, it was it's, not, it's an older version of it now. So it falls into the past. So all these guys here, all these guys are actually right wing now would be considered to be right wing. Whereas only the latest form of liberalism is um, center-left, as they say. This is the center-left here. Okay, um, now this one, uh, this, is, this, is, this is the, the, the colorful one, as they say, um, quite almost literally in its, in its choice of emblems. So um, if, if you argue that the, the purpose or basis behind um, uh, the, the, the way to achieve individual rights and, and liberties is that everyone has equal power. Because if you have more power than me, then you can subjugate me. Uh, you can threaten my rights. But that also includes not just having more power than me, but it also includes the fact that you control something that I need, which is wealth. And wealth gets me food. Wealth gets me livelihood. Wealth gets me uh, a roof over my head. 
So if we want to guarantee everyone's rights, everyone's individual freedoms, you need a society where you can't be bullied by your bosses, where you're not a slave to the factory, um, the, the, the corporate magnets or the entrepreneurs and so on and so forth, the capital owners. You need to have the the freedom from anyone that can control or manipulate you using what you need, what you depend on. Okay. So if that's the case, if, if that's your interpretation of this enlightenment doctrine of how you manifest this, then you're going to go for, you're going to go more on the side of political equality as your first or soul is the first basis for your, for your principles of belief. And if that's going to be the case, you're going to be a socialist. Now, Socialism is quite simply this, that uh, the, the, the property of this planet Earth is commonly owned by all human beings. You're an individual. Okay, great. You own yourself. Great. They don't dispute that because they're from the Enlightenment. So they don't, won't dispute this. But what they'll say is, but who owns the Earth? Right? You can't say any individual has a, a greater entitlement to own more of the planet Earth's resources than anyone else. Because it's common property. Well, just because your your ancestors got there first or were more powerful, that they you know that uh, now they inherit it onto you, that's not fair. They'll say. So if that's if you believe that, if that if that compels you, if you find that compelling argument as an Enlightenment thinker, you will then uh, or a follower, you will be a socialist. And socialism is basic premise is quite simply this: that the state um, will will be the basis to guarantee people's rights, like liberals do. Uh, but in this case, the state will do so not just by protecting your individual rights, like liberal state will. Uh, your right to your your right to to uh, sleep with who you want, to drink alcohol if you want, um, more kind of more or less, uh, to do all the same things that liberalism allows you to do. But there's a little there's a little bit extra, right? Uh, something that it does different, which is it says the state will be in charge of controlling. Um, private property and distributing it to the to to people so the state distributes the property to everyone because it doesn't belong to every and to anyone in particular it is common property of everybody so the state is like a caretaker of property and it distributes it and of course if you everyone's equal it, in theory it should distribute it equally to everybody that's if, if you believe that um then you're a socialist now if you uh, now there's 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 these two main uh, you could say madhabs that come from this. Now, if you want to um, work within the existing system, and you want to gradually edge the state towards more and more socialism by implementing more and more welfare programs for people and more and more uh, workers protection rights and so on and so forth you want to you want uh, to to gradually get the state to become socialist because you know that it might not happen overnight very quickly whether you believe it can't happen overnight because of the economic limitations of of such a radical change or because the powers that be will stop will prevent you from doing it radically then you're most likely going to be um, a social democrat right um they are the uh, they are the ikhwanis of, of, of socialism, um, use the current system, win elections, and implement gradual changes in that direction uh, that you want to attain. Okay, now you, now you're seeing it, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay, there's that. Um, however, uh, if you believe that it can only come by uh, revolution, 
uh, by uprising uh, of, of the working classes. The working classes must rise up uh, and and take over um, the, the 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 state and become a dictatorship of the proletariat. The proletariat of the working people. It's, it's, it's a Marxist term. Um, then you're going to be a Marxist, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, Marxism has a, has a lot of ideas in, in it. It's, it's not as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, uh, Karl Marx was a materialist, and he was a very consistent materialist, uh, as much as a materialist can ever be consistent with their, with their philosophies. He was more consistent as a materialist than any other socialist uh, of his time. Uh, to the extent that he didn't even argue for equality, uh, because he argued that equality is a uh, uh, well. Uh, uh, I'm gonna. He didn't say it like this, but I'm gonna kind of give you maybe his thinking, which is equality is a metaphysical term, right? Like justice, it's a metaphysical term. Rights, metaphysical term. He was a pure materialist. So as far as he was concerned, um, as long as uh, a, a human beings living according to their natural condition as as, as uh, social beings with, with the property shared uh, uh, all between themselves um this uh, and and everyone is to be given uh is to be is, is to be given according to their need and you need you take from them according to their ability yes yeah, so, so from each according to their ability to each according to their need is a famous marxist slogan uh, rather than just a, a one size fits all everyone gets the same portion um, that's a Marxist, okay? Uh, it was called by Engels uh, scientific socialism because they believed that socialists were too airy-fairy with these ideas of justice and equality, as whereas a pure materialist would simply say that it is inevitable part of materialism of which humans are part of material, part of matter, part of materialism, that there are processes which they could map out almost like a science, um, which is not really the case, by the way. It's just their speculations, which they, as materialists. But anyway, they, he nicknamed it a science, a scientific socialism. Um, so they they have more formulas than the socialists do for uh, managing and organizing what society would look like, why it's going to go in the way they, they say it's going to go, and so on, so on, and so forth. Um, th- that's why Marxism is very appealing. That's why most socialists are, well, most socialists used to be Marxists uh, mm. because Marxism gave you a very specific set of guidelines with a very specific set of reasons, reasoning and explanations, give you a comprehensive worldview, explain everything um, from a, a materialistic basis. So it seemed to be very um, consistent, but it isn't, but that's what, at least it had the appearance of being so. Now, um, Marx made any, a lot of any, any examples of social democratic countries today? Oh well, Scandinavia. Scandinavia yeah. is uh, is uh, is very very um, typical. Um, Social Democrats are quite strong in Canada as well, mm-hmm. um, as you might might be aware. Um, so yeah, the, 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 usually in Europe you're going to get more social social democratic governments. Um, the Labour Party used to be social democratic uh, in the UK uh, until Tony Blair's time, and until they um, and of course. Um, uh, Jeremy Corbyn, uh, who uh, I, like, not many people know that I actually, uh, uh, before he was famous, I actually debated him on a uh, on a, on a panel actually at uh, in a, in a d- discussion panel in Parliament itself, not on the main not the main room of Parliament, but other other rooms of Parliament mm. uh, on secularism. I actually uh, argued debated him on secularism itself. Um, but Jeremy Corbyn um, was 
is a is a is a Marxist socialist basically, but practically speaking, he's a social democrat. Right? So it's like he he could he'd love to have it as full Marxism if he could, uh, but um, he's he's not going to do it by revolution because look where where is he? He's he's in the parliament right as an MP. Um, now. If you uh, now Marx made a lot of predictions, um, form, first and foremost, that workers, generally speaking, wouldn't get the kind of rights and welfare systems that they enjoy today um, uh, beyond a, a, only a minimal appearance. Uh, but that didn't happen. Uh, he predicted that the most advanced capitalist societies would inevitably be the first states to progress on to the next material evolution of matter, uh, which is. Um, socialism, there'll be the re a revolution occurring in the most advanced capitalist states like England. That never happened. In fact, it was states that were less industrialized that that um, saw that change. Um, and a whole number of things that the workers didn't rise up. The workers didn't realize that they were an oppressed class uh, and what, what happened there. So after Karl Marx passed away, of course, these things didn't come to pass. And many people were disillusioned, so they they argued, why are not the workers rising up? Why are they not realizing that they're the oppressed class? And they they came to the realization that the workers were under, um, they were in essence, to put it crudely, brainwashed by ideology. And because they were brainwashed by the governing, the ruling ideology, um, which is liberalism or capitalism, as they would call it, um, because um, liberalism, they say, is a system that permits people to own capital, um, uh, property that generates wealth. It's called capital, basically. So capitalism is the nickname that Marxists gave liberalism. Um, they could just call it your, this is capitalism. But now the liberals adopted it for the economic system. It just means the liberal economic system. That's all it means. But uh, anyway, um, so... If 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 these not these people realized these Marxists realized that Marxism um, couldn't explain everything um, and that uh, it didn't it made bad predictions because the things didn't come to pass uh, and that the workers weren't rising up when you tell them to rise up when you point out that they're being oppressed. So what do they have to do? Um, they realize that they have to refute this brainwashing ideology that's pervasive in society that makes people um, feel that they are in a fair society that makes them feel that they're in a just society. And so the the main movement now would be not to rise up uh, with arms and weapons, uh, but really to, to um, expose this brainwashing ideology of, of, of liberalism and its, and its ideas and, and, and many manifestations and doctrines and um, kind of ideas that it, 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 it uh, seeks to use to continue itself and preserve itself. Um, to attack that, and if it was called ideologically ideology critique by the Frankfurt School, then these 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 are a growing school of neo-Marxists in essence. Um, and these individuals, uh, if you're you're involved in an ideological warfare, you could say against this ideology, um, against uh, uh, to expose the privilege in society between the working classes and those who are the capital owners. Um, they also discovered that there are many other kinds of classes as well, which are also have um, are, are privileged in the ideology or in de facto in society have a privilege. And this would lead to what you might call woke today, which is the idea of creating social justice. Because technically speaking, uh, for, for Marxists, um, the economic justice, they couldn't get that straight away. They realized that um, people in society were brainwashed. And so you have to 
kind of if you eliminate the social injustices, the the differences of privilege between people in society, then the next step will be then economic justice, where people say, okay, now the wealth must be redistributed. So you could say that in a way, neo-Marxists are breaking down the barriers for a Marxist revolution, even if they don't necessarily intend it. But you could say that was what the initial um, neo-Marxist thinkers were, were thinking about, which is how to break down the obstacles for a full-on Marxist revolution. And to do so, you have to de-brainwash the people. So neo-Marxists are all about, um, about changing social relations in society between any groups or identified classes of people that they see. And they realized there was more than just one class uh, between, uh, well, one way of looking, one lens uh, between working class and the, 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 the bourgeois upper classes. So that makes you neo-Marxist. Um, of course, of course, what then happened with postmodernism is um, what we saw uh, is that many neo-Marxists and neo-Marxists uh, realized that this this whole plan of theirs um, was just a, another means of control they were imposing on people. That they wanted they were going to substitute one dominating ideology because they were very obsessed with getting rid of the dominating ideology. But then they realized but we're going to replace it with another dominating ideology. And really, the individual should be free from dominating ideologies that uh, oppress them. In a way, they wanted to take equality to its ultimate level, which is that ideology is a product of human beings' minds, and you can't free them by supplanting one ideology with another. So every human being should be allowed to decide their own narrative. They, um, they, they use the word narrative instead of ideology. Um, and so this is now postmodernism, where you believe that all ideologies are, 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 are you, there's no way to know which one is true. There's no way to, to know which one is universal. So everyone's own interpretation of reality is undecidable, but equally undecidable. And therefore, um, everyone's uh, own interpretations of reality are, are basically equally valid. If you believe that, then you're, you're a postmodernist. Um, some people call them post-Marxists because they apostate from Marxism and neo-Marxism um, because they were so obsessed with re refuting the dominating ideology of the West. They just simply realized, some of them, not all of them, some of them realized that, wait a second, but we have an ideology too, um, which how do we know that's, that's true and fair? Now, well, how are we going to impose that on other individuals, ourselves. And so that is when uh, when you when they realize that, uh, that's when they become postmodernist, you could say, post-Marxist. Um, last but not least, I suppose, um, fascism is a, is a weird outlier in the Enlightenment. It comes right from the Enlightenment, by the way, but it is a very weird outlier. Why is that? Well, um, because fascists believe in freedom, freedom of the individual. Uh, yes, yes, they very much do. However they believe in freedom of an individual for a particular national group. That's, um, that's what makes them distinctly uh, different from their, their liberal cousins. Um, what you'll find is uh, nationalism arose um, from a simple, uh, an answer to a simple question, which is the state is, is no longer going to be representing the will of the king or the queen. It represents the people. Okay, great. Which people? Now you could say, well, anyone who has a who has a membership card, right, of called citizenship, yeah. Well, in theory, yes, but they'll they'll say, well, 
the the people emerged from somewhere right like who was the people that was where, where like what why is there a border between canada and the united states of america i mean you guys sound the same right like why is there a border right you'll say well because uh, because surely then surely, surely the rights of canadians and the rights of americans will all be guaranteed under one one state as much as they'd be guaranteed under separate states so why should you have borders well, they say, well, there's something different about the Canadians and there's something different about Americans that they're not, they can't just be made the same people. Once you come to that realization, uh, that's where nationalism was kind of uh, born. And it arose from the French Revolution itself, where the, uh, the, 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 the new République would represent the French nation, the national will, the will of the people. And of course, the will of the people are the French. It's not going to be the Germans. It's not going to be the, the Portuguese or the Spanish. Once you have that understanding that the state represents the will of a specific people, then you'll realize the thin ice that liberalism skates on um, and how it can easily fall into fascism and how many liberal states do fall into fascism, uh, depending on the certain economic and social circumstances, usually economic circumstances, which is that if you have um, you have such wealth dis problems uh, in society um, and you uh, usually it is a, a kind of the immigration by those who are deemed to be not part of the nation is a catalyst for faction for fascism because they use they say look at these foreign people coming to our country how are they having the same rights as us when our ancestors built this country this country represents our will how are they not um adopting our customs and our culture why do they have to keep their customs and culture when they're in a new land you know you, if you come to our country you should adopt our customs and our culture um to to respect us because the argument goes, if they grow into large enough size, they will change the customs and culture of the society and they're uh, a, a, an existential threat. And the fascists will say that minorities are an existential threat to the rights and freedoms of the individuals defined by the national group that the state represents. That is a fascist argument. Okay, And the fascists will also say to their liberal cousin, they'll say, um, you know, look, uh, you might say that the individual's freedoms are the, are the first basis uh, and the most important, and the state has to justify its limitations around that. But we put to you, where do rights come from? Okay, Because there's no right to nature. Nature doesn't care about your rights. Right? You're on a desert island with lions and tigers and bears. They're not going to care about your right to live to life or your right to be authentic. Right? They're going to eat you. All right, they're going to kill you and eat you if they could. Right? They don't care about your right. So nature doesn't care about your your rights. Um, it, it was ironically in nineteenth century the development of materialistic understandings of rights when natural law was 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 um, put aside um, because, as David Hume said, it's nonsense on stilts. Uh, sorry, Jeremy Bentham. Sorry, said it was nonsense on stilts that there is no natural rights uh, in in the universe. There's just uh, what you know what what we create for ourselves. So the fascist says, who guarantees your rights? They'll say it's not God. It's not some uh, some kind of um, airy-fairy idea of rights that exists separate from all things in the universe, like a platonic form. Nope. It's the state. So the state is more important than the individual because without the state, you wouldn't get your individual rights. So then they say, as an individual, you have no right to weaken the state. Okay. And so um, fascism comes from the Italian word, uh, or, or ultimately Latin word, um, uh, fascia, 
which um, kind of means, in essence, uh, um, uh, it used to refer to uh, kind of bundling together, like strength, um, where you bundle things together to be, be strong. And the typical example, the fascist symbol was a, the Roman, um, a Roman symbol, actually, which they used was it had an axe, an axe tied to uh, a number of other uh, wooden sticks. Uh, when you have the axe uh, hilt by itself, you can break it, you can snap it pretty easily. But when you tie it to a number of other sticks in a bundle, you can't break the bundle of sticks. It's harder to break that bundle of sticks. So it's fascia. It's bundled together. It's stronger. So that's what fascism is. Um, the uh, Why is it linked to the left here is because fascists um, well, can argue that the, the the property of the state or the property of the individuals can be subservient to the state um, for the common good and can be distributed by the state for the common good. So, for example, the, the Nazis were called, um, well, Nazi comes from the acronym, you know, National Socialist. Uh, so they were nationalists and socialists. So socialism only for, uh, but for, limited to the national realm, as opposed to what socialists are meant to be calling to, which is, um, their ummah is meant to be all workers around the world, is their ummah, right? Whereas national socialists will say, no, 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 no. our ummah is only the German peoples. Um, the, uh, so so fascists can be socialist uh, within uh, within the national context. Uh, they can be conservative. Um, they can be liberal, but only for their, their national group. Where to fit them? They don't fit very well on the spectrum. They're very hard to fit on the spectrum because they're a bit of everything. Um, all at the same time, and hence it's hard. You're, you're, there are books written where they where people accuse the left fascism comes from the left wing, or, or they'll say no, it comes from the right wing. But like fascism will talk about about um, you know utopian times of the past, where they'll say, uh, oh, look at the the time when our people were were great, and they'll make a a romantic history that never really existed. So, are they really conserving the past? because they're inventing brand new mythological stories about their national group. It's, these are not old things they're bringing back or, con or even conserving. So where to fit them? Um, there's, there, there are problems. So this is in essence, a, a, a one-on-one of, of Western um, Madahib. And inshallah, we're going to go very quickly um, over the, 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 the Islamic response to these, these different schools of thought. And inshallah, you'll, I mean, you'll probably already see the, the differences there, which is, First and foremost, Islam disagrees with this starting doctrine here. Mm. You're not your own sovereign. Mm -hmm. Allah is your sovereign. He is your Malik, right? And there's no other Malik that is um, that is your is truly your Malik, other than Him. And in that sense, then um, uh, and you know, we are not owners of our bodies. We are trustees of our bodies. We have been entrusted with this gift, and we're supposed to look after it and not as we wish yes yes correct so it, it, that being the case um off the bat the muslims would reject the the enlightenment root and branch um the western enlightenment root and branch that's what um islam would be opposed to the western enlightenment root and branch because we disagree with this very fundamental doctrine um, we and we disagree with with their interpretations of what equality means. And, and I, I like how you visualized it here because when you're saying that we're we're just rejecting their fundamental premise from the get go, that means Islam is on a different spectrum, right? Because sometimes you you know you would hear Muslims saying, "No, you know, Islam is between liberalism and conservatism," 
But then that will make it sound like Islam is under, uh, you know, under under this uh, is a branch under this fundamental premise, and it's just squeezed in between liberalism and conservatism. But it's on a completely different spectrum altogether. Oh yes, oh com com completely so, and mm -hmm. and really, um, this is the, the the fundamental answer you could say to the the question: Islam doesn't fit anywhere in the left wing and right wing because. Uh, we disagree with its most fundamental premise. Um, you, there's, there's no point debating the the madahib of a different. It's like saying, you know, w w which. Um, Are we uh, between Catholics or Protestants? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or you know, uh, or which, which which branch of, of of Hinduism does Islam fit into? Hinduism uh, <laughs> or Krishna, conscious or you know, yeah. or what have you? It's uh, no, that, it's just ridiculous. Um, uh, we wouldn't need to go there. Uh, but unfortunately, many Muslims have been fooled, mainly because uh, Muslims have been fooled into the very premise of the Western Enlightenment, um, which is it was it was argued that because the Christians came up with this initially, or mostly Christians came up with this the Western Enlightenment, um, that it doesn't concern removing God from his position ontologically. But when it comes to politics and law, they've removed God from his position epistemologically. So his um, he, he is the basis of the of the knowledge of good and bad and should and shouldn't for human beings for obligation rights justice he is the basis for knowledge of those topics of those things uh, you can't derive them from the material universe you, you simply can't um, but what the Christians have done unfortunately is, or uh, the Christians that came up with this this doctrine is they have inadvertently removed him from this and what happened was. Then later on, people will then will will stop believing in God, or they'll view God as a unjust interloper into human affairs, because they already believe this doctrine. If you truly believe that man is sovereign of their own affairs, uh, you can't simply initially your your ancestors might believe it was just a um, a starting point for political thought, but humans will eventually want to be consistent in their doctrines, and eventually they'll say, well, actually. Ontologically speaking, then man is his own sovereign too. You know, on an actual existential level, humans own themselves, not just as a basis for political thought, um, as a as a, a thought experiment or hypothetical. No, if the, we're basing society on this and we're deriving the laws of society, we're deriving a dean, a brand new dean, a, a way of life uh, from the Arabic perspective. What the word means means a way of life, means a, a belief system, a worldview then they're going to be consistent and they're going to complete the deen. All right? They're going to complete their deen and they're going to believe that the Akidah applies comprehensively, not just only partially to certain things. So this is why Islam doesn't fit anywhere. Um, and uh, But many Muslims adopted these particular schools of thought because they thought that, ultimately speaking, um, there was uh, wisdom behind organizing our societies according to these uh, these solutions uh, from a premise they didn't fully understand, and they just uh, uh, took it uh, took it on board. So, um, in the Muslim world, for example, after colonialism, the most dominant uh, you could say mentality, yeah, is conservatism. But uh, conservatism is is manifests in a way that uh, you. Uh, I'm going to tell you how it, you can recognize it. Um, is if you meet Muslims who their highest usul, the highest principles they follow is always um, don't disturb stability. Mm. Just don't disturb stability. Uh, if you if you call to Islam, 
uh, and that uh, in any, any way, shape or form, and that disturbs stability, we're against that. And, and we'll say it is wisdom to be against that. That's a conservative, right? That's a conservative Muslim, okay? Um, I would even argue that out of all the, I mean, you could say only minorities of Muslims believe in socialism, Marxism, or liberalism. Um, but the, the majority, and the, unfortunately, you could say the biggest obstacle for the implementation of Islam holistically are actually Muslims who've adopted the conservative school of, of thought, um, that they want to just conserve society as it is, conserve um, the, the current day circumstances, because any change is deemed to be um, the unknown, uh, dangerous, uh, could make things worse. And so they adopt it as a de facto principle, uh, even denying the, um, the practical application of the Sharia by simply saying that if we do this, it's going to cause trouble. The West won't like it, or, or we can't trust the government that implements it, or um, the current government won't like it um, and will lead to killing and torture and massacres all this stuff and so they and they produce a number of doctrines to justify doing nothing which is basically um, they'll say don't worry the math is going to solve everything or um, this is the end time so don't bother doing anything um, or um, you know like when Allah wills it will ha it will change so do nothing almost like Zen uh, adopting Eastern philosophy of Zen which is do nothing it'll, it'll be okay <laughs> something like this um, that's a conservative Muslim mindset um, and uh, yeah, uh, but but that they they are the most the, the biggest roadblock to Islamic revival. Um, uh, liberal Muslims in the Muslim world, um, they manifest. They don't call themselves necessarily liberal, um, at least not openly. Uh, in many cases, they'll just call themselves as uh, human rights act advocates. This is what they call it. They are uh, they are. This is basically a liberal da'i, a liberal invited to liberalism, but they give themselves a different title. Uh, they, they say, "No, we're human rights advocates," and uh, what they do is um, uh, they uh, push for uh, reform and change, gradual reform and change of the conservative system in the Muslim world, uh, bit by bit, incrementally making changes. And the conservatives. Although they find these individuals to be a nuisance now and again, but they don't view them to be a bigger threat than those who want holistic Islam. Why? Because the West has no problem with liberalism. West loves liberalism. West loves um, uh, liberal values. So they know that the West would never object to any of their countries making these changes that the liberal, uh, liberal activists amongst themselves want. So they're not viewed as a threat um, to Western interests and therefore um, a threat to stability of these countries. Uh, so it's it's, a, it's usually a period. It's a, it's a, they negotiate with liberals as to um, granting them things. Um, at times, they also some Muslim countries negotiate with um, Muslim organizations or parties that want ostensibly they claim they want a holistic Islam, as long as they're willing to compromise by being part of the system and just um, making incremental demands. Uh, because then they can be controlled and somewhat because they've already compromised once they've entered the system. They don't have to, if they've already accepted the system status quo and to some extent uh, uh, and com they've compromised their ideals for, for holistic Islam, then what else can you make them compromise? And the great example of this is to some extent um, social Democrats themselves in, in the, the Western world. Um, the Labour Party was initially a, social, a fully socialist party, you know, um, uh, um, almost a century ago when it was set up. Now, under Tony Blair and Keir Starmer, it is completely unrecognizable to its, its original pure socialist roots now. It has compromised so much 
it barely resembles anything that it used to actually stand for. And many Western think tanks discuss the um, uh, the, the benefits of, uh, of, of bringing in uh, what they call Islamists, or Muslims calling to holistic Islam, just all of this, they want to implement all of Islam. Um, uh, bringing them in and making them compromise, getting them to to, to compromise, in order that they can uh, their their call will, will be reduced from holistic Islam gradually to smaller and smaller and smaller things. So um, this is how we see it in the Muslim world how these things manifest. But in the in the non-Muslim world in the West, um, it, the the dynamic is a little bit different. Uh, so conservative non-Muslims view Muslims as a potential threat to, to the stability of their society, um, a threat to uh, law-breaking. They'll say that there's a threat to, to, to the law by saying that, that many criminals um, are, are disproportionately coming from uh, Muslim immigrants. Of course, the trend has always been that immigrants will always dis disproportionately have, uh, or significant populations of immigrants will always disproportionately have more criminals amongst them as because they're not integrated into, into the economic systems fast enough when they come or they're often um, stereotyped or disenfranchised or discriminated against, then of course, any minority of any of any time, any kind, will have a disproportionate criminal element, at least initially, like for example, the Irish when they came to America or the Italians when they came to America as well, right? It doesn't mean that um, they come from, um, you know, uh, uh, ideas or, or people's radically different from Western civilization. These were from Western civilization too, uh, a Western outpost, you could say, but they were still viewed to be um, threats because they were, um, you know, they were outsiders, uh, so to speak. So conservatives tend to be what you call Islamophobic. Um, they are fearful of Muslims, fearful of Islam specifically and its practices. Um, and then Muslims are afraid of the right wing in the West because of what they say and their arguments, so much so that they usually jump on board those willing to welcome them with open arms and say, sure, you know, we we will protect your right to identify as Muslims, right? Now, I know I said identify as Muslims, mm. but not to actually be uh, the, the Muslims in, in the fullest sense, to, to believe ideas which they don't believe in, um, mainly because... Uh, liberals would simply believe that, that that if everyone obeys the law in the land, it doesn't matter what you do, what culture. The liberals don't care about culture so much. They, as long as you obey the law, and the law is based on protecting individual rights, so they don't care about culture as so much. Um, but, but socialists and others, um, they because immigrants are going to tend to be those who are in going straight into the working classes or below the poor classes who have no who are not even workers. Um, they tend to view them as their ummah. It's like, oh, you working class Muslims, um, or you, you're Muslim that are the, on the bottom tiers of society. We're for you. Right? We are for you. But what they notice, what socialists uh, will, and, and they do say, and what they do notice is that uh, the, the, the immigrants aren't following the, the dominant ideology of liberalism uh, or capitalism or what have you when they come in. So they're more amenable to following their ideology of socialism uh, when they come in, especially when socialism promises them mm -hmm. that they will have money and welfare and look being looked after. Mm -hmm. So they view um, immigrants uh, and, in this, and minorities, especially Muslims um, uh, in many cases, as useful cannon fodder <laughs> yeah. to send forth against... Um, and this is what the Frankfurt School of neo-Marxists um, actually ascertained. They realized that um, disenfranchised classes in society. Like, um, so they thought, look, you can make society versus um, 
of the working class versus the bourgeois. But guess what? There are so many other classes you can look at. There's there's women versus men. And women are 50% of the population. You have then, you have black people and Hispanic people in America, which are disenfranchised. Um, you can have more people than the working classes against the the those who, who own the reins of power. You can increase your numbers uh, by going beyond simply working classes versus the, the capitalist bourgeois classes. And that's what they did. And Muslims are useful cannon fodder. And they therefore they they will say, hey, Muslims, come on board our platform. We will support your right against these conservatives. We will defend you and um, your right to identify any way you wish. But as soon as you say, OK, well, as a Muslim, then I believe that um, I, I don't believe in gay marriage. Uh, I don't believe that um, zina is halal. Uh, and I sh should be banned. We believe alcohol should be banned. We believe a whole number of things, is, which is uh, gambling is forbidden. We believe a whole bunch of stuff which liberals, um, which most liberals won't accept and most socialists won't accept, although gambling, they, uh, they would probably agree with us on, on, on it. Um, uh, they, then they're like, oh, wait, wait a second. No, no, no. This is you. You sound like the right wing Christians that we fight against. Yeah. You sound like a right winger. Uh, we're not going to defend you. You're the enemy. Yeah, you're defending the system, and you'll see how they treat Muslims. Um, they, they'll be expelled just as quickly as they were embraced. As soon as they give content to the label, you know, it's not. We're not just an empty jar, right? We'll just have a label with nothing inside it. Uh, we have content. As soon as we we advocate the content of that label, they will be opposed to us, and they are therefore they are not our friends, and they're not our our allies. So. This is the circumstance the Muslims face. Um, and I would say that in terms of being in the West as Muslims, um, well, the Quran gives us guidance on these matters. And I think there's there's two pertinent verses of the Quran that can help us on this matter. Um, one verse of the Quran, which is 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 to cooperate in the good and do not cooperate in sin and transgression. Now, now notice it says cooperate in the good. It doesn't say um, ally with, and there's a, there's a very key difference here. Um, if there is a, a, let's say, for example, there are many Christians in America who are against the indoctrination of their kids with the idea that a kid, a child can identify as any gender they see fit and that they shouldn't even, and in many cases that they shouldn't even adopt the, uh, the gender they were assigned, they were assigned at birth, but should be able to rethink that um, them, themselves. We can cooperate with Christians on that one. Yeah, um, policies on a policy on, by policy basis, we may cooperate with certain individuals. Yeah, on that one policy, we can yeah. cooperate with them, but we don't make them permanent allies um, mm. because they disagree with us on, on many things, including the Trinity and things like that, of course, yeah, yeah. Um, to, to say the least. So we cooperate on policies, but we don't make um, uh, alliances, nor do we support their doctrines of, of, of uh, disbelief. Uh, likewise, uh, for example, if, if people want to, if the left wing say, we're going to have a panel, uh, and a platform uh, where we're going to be uh, talking about Islamophobia, and I'm going to be against it. But the, the condition is, of course, that you have to speak out against people who oppose gay marriage, um, or who argue that uh, same-sex intercourse uh, between consenting adults is morally equal to opposite-sex um, intercourse between uh, two consenting adults within marriage. We'll say no, we don't believe that. Though we we can't we can't go on that platform. 
Um, however, if you want to argue that if you want to go on a platform, let's say where they say, for example, um, uh, all American citizens uh, should be treated consistently according to the Constitution, which includes Muslims, um, then, well, we can argue that that consistency um, uh, where it is not haram, where it is not in a haram matter, um, it can be argued for. Uh, for example, in the Quran, it says, do not dispute with the people of the book unless you witness them committing injustice. Now, this verse of Quran doesn't refer to the fact that they're not referring to the Quran and Sunnah because, well, the, the, if they were referring to Quran and Sunnah, they wouldn't be Christians. They would be all Jews. They'd be Muslims. It refers to the fact that, um, well, some, uh, we can add another hadith to make sense of this, which is where the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, talked about the previous nations were destroyed because when the poor amongst them would, would steal, they would punish the poor person. But when a rich person amongst them would steal, they wouldn't punish the rich person. So it didn't talk about the, the type of punishment or the nature of the stealing. It simply said they didn't, it didn't apply it consistently. So if Muslims are, are promised, let's say, for example, in America, if Muslims are promised that we have the right to free speech, let's just say, um, uh, which uh, to say whatever you want without the law uh, getting involved against you uh, and without you facing um, re uh, legal repercussions or, or violent repercussions, uh, in, in Europe or America. Okay. But then let's say the government wants to then bring up a special policy um, or, 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 or to argue that certain Muslim speech is dangerous and shouldn't be allowed. Uh, and it's not speech advocating killing people. It's just a doctrines of beliefs, which in, in the West, um, in Europe, there's many um, programs which are in de facto criminalizing Muslim speech, merely advocating for Islamic beliefs or ideas, um, which, which don't, are not advocacy uh, for killing individuals or so on and so forth, um, then we can argue as Muslims, we can say, well, look, um, you guys claim to believe in freedom of speech. That's your doctrine. Why are you not following that when it comes to us, but you follow that when it comes to attacking the Prophet Muhammad and insulting Islam and attacking the Quran? Um, we don't adopt the basis. Very careful. We simply point out hypocrisy. That's the argument there. I'm, I'm thinking... We can point out hypocrisy, uh, which is basically the lack of consistency from people who claim they believe in a principle and they don't act according to that principle. So as Muslims, we can do that in the West as well, but we cannot adopt their basis for good and bad, and we cannot argue on their basis for good and bad. Uh, and, and even when I, I've gone on TV um, programs on BBC and what have you, um, discussing such, such matters, I'm very careful when I argue, I say, you know, basically, like, like you guys claim you believe this, but why are you then? But then you act like this. Um, that's that's the argument that we can um, that is halal to make. We don't say we don't say I believe in freedom of speech, even the right to insult the Prophet Muhammad sallam, And for that reason, I argue that you should um, allow Muslims to say what we want. No, that is, this is forbidden for us to say that. This is this is this is haram. This is kufr because because we don't believe in a right to insult the Prophet Muhammad sallam. We don't believe in gratuitous insult um, of even of anyone's religion or beliefs and um, gratuitous insult for its own sake. Um, we uh, believe we, are, we had a we had a very insightful episode uh, with Brother Hamza Sources on mm -hmm. blogging theology called the. Uh, Blasphemy Laws and Freedom of Speech. Uh, so I encourage the listeners to check it out if they haven't already, where we delved into this in, in, in some great detail. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, subhanAllah, as I said, many Muslims made this, this this point, but unfortunately, there's still many other Muslims 
that um, are still confused and it's, we need to get the message out um, on, on bigger and bigger platforms, inshallah, until Muslims understand this difference. So, um, so in essence, this is uh, as laid out as Muslims. Um, we are forbidden from taking any one of these ideologies. Uh, in Islam, as I said, uh, we our basis for engaging with non-Muslims is we are meant to be uh, witnesses to mankind uh, as our first and primary relationship with non-Muslims. So we're meant to call them to the truth is actually our first basis and, and, and priority. Um, and so our arguments in the West should be, for example, well, look at these ideas that are coming into the West now, um, look at these practices, uh, or look at these consequences. This is because of you following the Enlightenment ideas. This is because you abandoned revelation. Um, and and even then your revelation uh, was insufficient to, to guide these matters because of what happened in, in the past in, in of, his, of history of Christianity before that, um, in the Roman, how the Roman Empire changed it and so on and so forth, or how it changed under the Roman Empire, to be more precise. Um, Islam is the true guidance. Islam is the uh, unadulterated uh, uh uh, will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as communicated to mankind via his prophet, the, the angel Jibreel and his prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is how we should be arguing. Uh, so like, we should go up to, to Matt Walsh or Jordan Peterson or all these individuals and say that, well, you disagree with, um, uh, let's say, transgender ideology or what have you, all right? But the ideas you follow inevitably lead up to these arguments these these ideas these mm. these points you can't these are inevitable okay you can't complain um uh, about the the destination of the train that you're on when you agree with the being on the train and on the track on the same on that track you're just you're just a few stops bef you know before the 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 end goal that you don't you don't like right the the end stop you're going in that direction anyway. Your ideas were always going in that direction. Uh, you, uh, can't... You, know, the, you know, the problem, Abdullah, is yeah. that you know, many Muslims in response to the extreme on the other side, mainly the phenomenon of many Muslims inclining to liberalism, I mean, they're growingly becoming attached and being full of admiration for these right-wing pedagogues, right? And so, I mean, this is, uh, this is also concerning... Um, um, uh, recent event, right? And uh, so, so uh, you know, I, I hope I hope they take heed of what you're saying right now. Well, I mean, look, right. Um, so uh, let's look at you know pre pre Muslim Andrew Tate. I mean, Allah I I, I don't uh, keep up to date with anything he he's, he does or says. Or to be honest, I wasn't even following him beforehand anyway. I just hear these all these mean people cite. Um, however, um, Andrew Tate was a reaction to the excesses of um, feminist movements in the West, where in order to empower women, um, they felt it best to, to counterbalance what they deemed to be the inferiority complex of, uh, in, instilled into women by balancing out with giving them an um, arrogance, right? So to, in the form of what they call being self-assertive, quote unquote, you know, being self-assertive, uh, being proud, uh, and giving and saying that you have intrinsic value um, as, a, as simply by dint of just being a woman. I mean, if someone said uh, you have intrinsic value of because you're white or a male, they would say, "Oh, that's disgusting um, ideas." But well, then, well, in, again, as Muslims, we don't believe um, anyone has intrinsic value uh, beyond that which Allah Subhanahu wa Taala imparts upon the person. And of course, your values can can go all the way down to becoming nil or minus even. If you reject your purpose in life, if you reject him, 
the, the creator of the universe, subhanahu wa ta'ala, and, and you reject his commands. Whereas if you accept him, embrace him and follow him, uh, then your value uh, will increase in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But to simply say that I just have value, just it, just because, um, uh, or that you are now better than certain people, um, or that you're better than certain men or better than certain women, um, is kibr, right? It's, it, it is uh, the arrogance of self-superiority in some sense. So um, so what then Andrew Tate is doing uh, is now then he's counterbalancing it to, the, to what he's saying. That, well, if, the, if we're encountering arrogant women now, which deem to be, they need to be empowered by being so arrogant uh, in his uh, kind of estimation, then we need to balance the inferiority complex that's now being created amongst men by making them arrogant now. Uh, to, to balance it, it is an arms race of arrogance between men and women, uh, and it's something that we just, uh, as Muslims, um, should completely avoid um, and eschew. We, we have, it's, it's not our basis. Um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows who is of higher rank than, each, than others. Uh, you can, in a way, determine your worth by your taqwa and your righteousness, by your, your God-fearingness, by your good deeds. And even then, only Allah truly knows ultimately your sincerity as well as the sincerity of others. And so you still can't judge other people vis-a-vis um, your rank in the eyes of Allah uh, on them. You can judge someone if they're doing an open sin and uh, they are doing it under no compulsion. You can judge that what, the, what they did is a sin, right? That's You can say, well, that's sinful, that's wrong what you're doing. You can judge uh, that liberalism says and uh, the, these enlightenment ideologists say you can't judge because if they're not hurting people or doing anything that is wrong according to the enlightenment ideals, then their their choices are just as mo as morally valid as yours. Uh, whereas we say no, um, that's not the case. I, I can judge that your choice is not morally valid at all if it goes against the commands of the creator. But I can't judge um, uh, uh, like that. I'm a better believer than a non-believer. Uh, because I don't know what's inside their heart, and I don't, and I might be deluding myself um, uh, as to whether I'm sincere or not. You know, the Quran talks about people, hypocrites are, are self-deluded. Um, so we, the Sahabas, the, the companions of the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, were scared that they were hypocrites because they they imagined that the slightest failing they might have represented hypocrisy, and they were so scared. But of course, as we know. Their fear of being hypocrites is a sign of sincerity, not a sign of, of nifaq. So, um, this is the Islamic worldview is completely different um, from uh, anything in the West, and we don't follow. We didn't need to follow Andrew Tate um, pre-Islam or even post-Islam because now he's a new Muslim, so he's learning about Islam. Uh, again, there's nothing we can learn um, uh, from from him in terms of the commands of what we should and shouldn't do. Uh, people say, well, you know, uh, he come on, Andrew Tate teaches me to be a strong, confident man, whereas before I was cowardly or what have you. I say, well, look, you didn't need Andrew Tate to do that, okay? Um, you should be strong and brave in upholding the, the truth, the haq and, the ju and, and justice, all right? That's where you should be strong and brave uh, as a man, quote-unquote, right? And likewise, our sisters too would be strong and brave as sisters, upholding the truth uh, and, and justice as related in the Revelation, like uh, um, as men should, that's where we should have been inspired towards. Like if the creator of the universe, if you are supporting the the words of the creator of the universe, what fear do you need to have? Then you don't, right? Um, so that should be enough to make us brave. 
uh, together with confidence in our deen, confidence that we know it is the absolute truth based on yaqeen, on certainty. Um, we don't need that, Andrew Tate. As for Jordan Peterson, uh, who is an irony uh, in many ways, uh, Jordan Peterson, uh, he's, he's, he knows psychology and psychiatry, Great. He knows those subjects. Um, oh, even then, he's, he specializes. He doesn't know all of, the, all of the, that entire topic. You know, he, many topic, many clinical studies that uh, occurred in psychology and psychiatry are new to him because one guy can't know everything, even in their field now, with, with the human knowledge being what it is now today. But he's now uh, asked to talk about society. To talk, now he's talking about Zionism in Israel when he uh, interviewed Benjamin Netanyahu. Um, uh, and he, when he interviewed him, he said he'd push back, uh, and he didn't push back at all whatsoever. Benjamin had uh, full reign to, to say, make all kinds of outrageous lies and claims, and, and he, didn't, he didn't push back. But at the same time, uh, Jordan Peterson seems very confident to speak about the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, in the past where he called him uh, Billah, a warlord, um, which we know a warlord isn't someone that is, just commands an army. A warlord is a very specific term. It refers to someone that obtained power by controlling the army and or or having a a band of fighters or warriors and the warriors give that person power over a people it's not by the consent of the people that's what war Uh, means it's good to know that brother muhammad hijab made him retract that and he did good to know yes um although i think i think he should have apologized more um more profusely jordan peace and he's very evasive um, I believe in many many cases, um, yeah. He doesn't know what he, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, he debated a, a, a Marxist, or someone say a, a, a kind of like a post-Marxist um, a scholar called Slavoj Žižek, who's very famous in Europe. Mm. Uh, and he didn't know. Again, he he just thought he could read the the Communist Manifesto by Karl Marx and think he understands Marxism. He didn't, and Slavoj Žižek ran rings around him. Because uh, he really didn't understand the the right wing and the left wing don't understand each other. By the way, um, they don't know. They don't. They look at each other through their own lenses. They don't understand each other. The the left wing would say that right wing um, the the normative right wingers are just white racists, white patriarchal racists who are deliberately trying to preserve privilege for the for um, white males who are heteronormative and yada yada yada. And and conservatives think that the left wingers. Um, or the, the socialists or, or neo-Marxists awoke uh, are basically they just hate Western civilization and they want to destroy it and bring it completely down to the ground, um, which is not the case. Right? They don't hate Western civilization as, uh, just as a as a civilization. Uh, they they hate the ideas in Western civilization currently and it's some of its practices. They want to change it, not to bring it down. Um, uh, Muslims getting involved in any side of this debate was even worse. Many Muslims have fallen foul of these different ideologies because they were trying to criticize the other side. Yeah, many Muslims were criticizing liberalism. I, I know uh, I've had I've had I've seen Muslims who used to be um, at the forefront of of criticizing liberalism. Let's just say uh, they discover that oh look, there's these other non-Muslims that criticize liberalism. Wow, I didn't know this. They existed. Oh, it's, uh, you know, and they open up their books and they read these criticisms and they adopt the lens, uh, the criterion used to criticize liberalism, which this criterion is left-wing, it's not, it's not from Islamic basis, and then they adopt 
these left-wing ideologies. Um, like, for example, many Muslims jump on, uh, become woke, as they say. They jump on the bandwagon of, of, of criticizing, attacking the West because it's then patriarchal, uh, because they say uh, they believe in critical race theory, which I think is something which we should inshallah discuss in the future. Um, uh, which has uh, a lot of uh, both of these these approaches have a lot of assumptions based on Marxist um, sociological analysis, uh, which is ultimately materialistic, um, which would contradict the Islamic basis, uh, both in its in how it understands society to work, but also in um, its end goal. Um, and when, when concerning, for example, you know, uh, feminism or, or critical gender studies. It wants to undo patriarchy. Well, you could apply this, its own lenses to Islam and then call Islam uh, patriarchal, or you could apply the lenses of, um, uh, of of let's say critical race theory to Islam and say that Islam is Arab supremacist because the the language of the lit- liturgy in Islam is in Arabic. Is uh, is the Arabic of the Quran? Is the is this? It, the hadith is in Arabic and so on and so forth. It comes from Arabic peoples. Uh, the very fact that you have to pray in Arabic, they'll say this is Arabic supremacist. This is the end The end result the, of people who adopt initially a criteria they thought would simply help them criticize the West, its current ruling ideologies. So I've seen many Muslims fall to these ideologies. And, and in many cases, the, many Muslims um, leave Islam as they become consistent applying the criteria that these ideologies use to judge the West, they apply on Islam as well. And they re- and Islam then ends up um, wanting as much as the West uh, uh, liberalism was wanting uh, according to these, to these ideologies. So this is this is some of the, the pitfalls that Muslims fall into. Um, and it ultimately all derives from a lack of confidence in Islam, but also a lack of understanding of Islam. We don't know what, we don't know Islamic political fiqh uh, or, or political um, uh, and ethical um, jurisprudence, guidance, um, and so on and so forth, because we don't know what the Islamic model looks like and Islamic society look looks like. Um, we don't know how to judge by it or call to it or rule by it. And so we fall for anything else that promises the, a mo- the slightest modicum of justice or the slightest uh, resemblance to any any s- small branch of Islam that uh, that we follow. We think, oh, then we must follow the whole tree. Because one leaf resembles resembles um, an Islamic relief, so to speak. So these are the kind of problems that um, uh, that Muslims fall into, um, and yeah, and that's in essence really where, where I'll, I'll kind of leave it. There's, I, I I usually have more. I have many presentations I give where I get I go by for different source material the texts of the different ideologies I talk about, um, and I compare them. I show how they actually contradict Islam in in what many specific ways. Um, to uh, go into more depth because there are still many Muslims who are confused by these things. Uh, there are Muslims I mean, I've encountered who are Marxist Muslims, Muslims who are obviously liberal Muslims, who follow um, uh, revisionist uh, uh, thinkers, um, d- those who are adept in mental gymnastics, uh, people who say, for example, um, they say, oh, uh, the, the, because they follow left-wing ideologies, um, who and they say, for example, they say, and here's here's a typical. Just give you one a practical example, and I will leave it. To, we'll kind of I'll leave my presentation there. So they'll say, okay, in the West, there are many Muslims are approached and they say, aren't you against racism? And they say, yeah, we're, we're against racism. Racism is bad. Islam is against racism. Okay, great. So how do you define racism? And they'll say, well, um, 
I don't know. I mean, is it just you hate people from there because they have attributes? So exactly. That's what how we define it too. Um, so if you hate someone and you this you believe that they should be discriminated against, not have the same rights, not have the same freedoms because they have an attribute of theirs that they didn't they didn't pick or didn't choose, that is why racism is wrong. And when a Muslim say, yeah, I believe that might be the, that's that's why we believe it's wrong, then they say, ah, good. Now I've hooked you onto that. Why are you against LGBT, uh, same-sex marriage or things like this? Why don't you believe they should have rights to, to um, have their, uh, their intimacy um, be recognized as legally and morally valid as uh, opposite-sex intimacy? Well, then the Muslim can't argue anymore now because they've already adopted a false criteria and now they're hooked into it and they're straight-jacketed into, into being consistent on a false criteria. The Islamic perspective doesn't say because it's wrong to discriminate based on an attribute that's inherent in a person, because one could argue that kufr it could be inherent in a person. Uh, in the, the Quran, it talks about um, you know, those who will be revealed to be kufar on the day of judgment. They revealed what they had been concealing inside themselves all along. Right? It's, it's, it's their nature, uh, in, in a sense. Um, I mean, not their nature that they were compelled to be, but rather this is their authentic self. Right, and this is who they who they are, their true colors, so to speak. Um, rather, what Islam says uh, very clearly is that um, the the different attributes, the physical attributes that Allah created us with, are not a basis to say that you are better or worse than someone else in amongst Bani Adam. But the actions you choose to do can determine whether you are lesser or worse than somebody. You're better or worse than somebody else. Yes. Uh, so if you choose to drink alcohol, you can't say, oh, it's because I'm intrinsically an alcoholic. I was, I have a genetic predisposition to be, um, partial to alcohol. You can't, that's not, we don't recognize that. We don't say there's an, there's an alcoholics community an alcoholics culture, um, which now has to have equal rights to non-alcoholics. Um, uh, people, uh, human beings, uh, obviously deserve, um, uh, uh, initially all have equal value in, our, in Allah's eyes, as in we're all born initially equal in value. Um, however, um, you, our value can change based on, on our actions. And even if we want to use the idea of equality, which is not actually an Islamic criterion, um, equality um, is, is not actually praised in the Quran. In fact, almost everywhere in the Quran, you see the word equal. It's actually almost in a negative context. For example, uh, the hypocrite would uh, uh, would want you to follow what they're following so that you're on equal terms, right? Or not equal is the good and the bad, right? Um, the, the, like the, the word equality is not praised in the Quran. Um, uh, and as Aristotle said, uh, and he's often misquoted, he's often misquoted as saying uh, equal things should be treated equally. Whereas I suppose what he's actually saying uh, in the Greek is identical things should be treated identically. And so, for example, as Muslims, well, the Quran says the man is not like the woman, right? Um, which is it, which is blasphemy to these to some of these left wingers today who argue that there is no difference between men and women other than just what you choose to identify as. Um, and so, to to because Islam does not give identical uh, uh, legal treatment to things which are not identical, um, the West would be all all these schools of thought would be against that. They'd say that this is incorrect. It's unjust. We say no. Um, men and women are not, not the same. So why are you going to give them exactly the same legal treatment? Even in the West, you don't give exactly um, uh, equal legal treatment based on attributes. I often give the example of abortion, that a woman 
has a right to, they'll say in the West, uh, to abort her child, um, but the man has no right to decide whether his child survives or, or is aborted, despite the fact they're meant to both have equal reproductive rights. Okay, but they don't then. Oh, but they'll say, oh, that's because biologically they're different. Ah, well, then that's the point, isn't it? And they'll say, are you are you telling that are you saying that women should be forced to give birth? And I say, no. Um, uh, you know, I, I actually use this in a debate with an atheist um, who tried to say, okay, you might maybe if I concede that, but what is your solution? You're going to say that women should be compelled, should be chained up until they give birth because uh, when they're pregnant. I say, no, no. In the law, what do you do when someone breaks the law? You punish them by jail or a fine, right? So if it, I could, I could argue that if you guys were being consistent, uh, then you should allow the man to also decide whether. Uh, his partner should abort the child or not, and if she goes against his wishes, uh, then she should be she could be fined or put into jail. Um, much like what would happen, of course, if a man uh, gave his partner um, uh, an abortion pill, uh, crushed it up, and put it in her food, and she's not physically harmed by it, but the child becomes aborted by it, right, without her consent. Yeah, then that if you believe that he should be punished for that. Then I likewise, you should believe that that the woman should uh, should be punished if you're being consistent to your premise that everyone has equal reproductive rights. Yeah, but you're not consistent, and of course, you, the the guy actually didn't like that because there's no way out of that. How are you going to argue after afterwards? So, um, so the point is that Islam, uh, you know, our basis is very different. We believe that non-identical things are not treated identically. But in the West, this would be this would contradict this idea of um, mo- almost all schools of thoughts. Ideas of equality would it would contradict um, those, those those things, and so yeah, they would disagree with Islam and view it as 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 very d- different. Um, and I think last point, just to go back to what I was saying about Jordan Peterson, uh, just a little funny point, and then I'll, I'll, I'll stop it there. Which is um, Jordan Peterson is the biggest irony of them of them all because uh, Jordan Peterson um, he re- uh, criticizes post uh, postmodernism a lot. Yeah. Um, but he's one of the biggest postmodernists there are. He constantly, constantly cites Nietzsche, which is considered to be the father of postmodernism. In essence, that that the that humans uh, should derive their own morality according to their own need um, is a Nietzsche a Nietzschean idea, and that that the book, um, the 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 author of the book, his intent or her intent behind writing the book is no longer important. Um, but rather what you uh, benefit from that book, how you uh, can interpret a book to benefit uh, or guide your life um, to something you deem to be whatever positive by whatever definition positive you want to call, call it, is a very postmodernist um, term. I think um, it, was, it was described that this is what they call uh, you know, the, the death of the author in postmodernism, which is what postmodern thinkers, they said that they, it doesn't matter what the author thinks anymore, what the author wanted or intended it's about what you interpret the book, how you choose. I think that's to related to deconstructionism, right? Uh, um, kind of. Um, deconstructionism is more is more to um, is is more to highlight and expose the uh, it kind of you could say the imposed narrative that a book presents itself with, and to basically um, highlight its contradictions to um, dis- to, to destroy the na- that narrative, um, to destroy the truth claim to a narrative that a book possesses, to show that it is not objective. Um, it, it, it can't, that objectivity does not, can't exist. 
uh, and that hu- interpretation of reality are undecidable. But now, what does Jordan Peterson do? I made a claim. Now I'm going to I'm going to merely point out to you. He talks about the Bible a lot, but he doesn't take it literally. Hmm. Heck, he can't even answer simple questions as "Does God exist?" Yes. Yeah. What do you mean? What do you mean? Does? What do you mean? Uh, God? What do you mean? Yeah. You know, what, what do you mean? Do you believe? You know? And he went to each each individual word. What do you mean? Do oh, you? Absurd. Absurd. Yeah. It was absurd. Because for him, it's not. Uh, it would seem. Uh, and it's very postmodernist to say so. Um, it's not important for him whether God exists or not, um, nor whether the Bible is is was literally intended or not. What's important is what these concepts do for you, uh, and how uh, you as an individual can can use the stories in the Bible to give you some kind of higher meaning about order. In, in a way, ironically speaking, um, many conser- he's a conservative uh, in in many of his. Is, is leanings, but conservatives and postmodernists almost kind of meet back again because conservatives are dubious about claims to formulas that claim to fix everything called you can organize society. Conservatives say the wisdom of the past gives us uh, some use, uh, utility in ordering society and creating stability in society, order from the chaos, right? So ironically, he's a conservative, but also a postmodernist at the same time, despite the fact that he rails against postmodernism, he himself denies the objective yeah, meaning. So he, see, he sees the utility in it, but he yeah. can't uh, claim that it's ontologically true. That's actually capital T based on, you know, a system of thought that is true, but he sees the utility in it. So. In the in the Bible, yes, yeah, and that that, that you can't get more postmodernist than that, basically. So anyway, um, yeah, I think I'll I'll kind of leave it there. Um, but ultimately speaking, Islam does not fit into left and right. It transcends. It is in a whole different league. Um, and likewise, as Muslims, our, our our campaigning, our allyship does not fit in the left and right. But we may occasionally uh, have common um, common policies that we may agree with in either those who might be incidentally from the left or the right, but we never agree with them on their, on their basis, their, their soul, their foundations, their criteria for right and wrong. We fundamentally disagree. We just might happen to agree incidentally on certain policies. And when, when that's the case, we cooperate in the good, but at the same time as cooperating the good, we should always say that the real solution to this policy is Islam uh, it will provide real solutions. The West is unable to deal with these policies itself. It's unable to get rid of racism, really. It's unable to uh, to uh, truly provide for the working classes, um, truly. It's unable to uh, to protect the family. When you adopt the Enlightenment ideals, it's going to erode the family, uh, the idea of the, the sanctity of the family. You conservatives, you've adopted an Akida that is destroying the thing that you are claiming you want to preserve. And there's no way around that other than adopting a holistic way of life that comes from the creative universe, which we have, which is Islam. So that would be, I think, as Muslims, what we should do in the West and in the Muslim world, we should get rid of all these ideologies that we are following and simply apply Islam holistically um, because it is from the creator and who knows best than the creator how to organize human affairs and what our purpose is. Rakawafikum uh, Abdullah, you know, for, this was, uh, you know, for this very uh, educational presentation that is striving to restore some balance within Muslim discourse about these social issues. And, you know, I think it's fantastic how you covered several key uh, ideologies in a succinct and 
digestible manner. So, you know, jazakum uh, al for that. Um, if, know, I, if, if, if I may, I want to, there was, um, there was something I, um, I made a little picture, um, mm-hmm. which is, um, Islam is neither left or right. It is wasat, yeah, justly balanced, right? Mm. Um, w- what you see is um, Islam is not on the spectrum of left wing and right wing. It's on its own spectrum. And within its own spectrum, um, it is um, balanced because, for example, if, if, for example, if men are given, or, or, let's say, responsibility over the family, um, they're given commensurate to that uh, kind of that uh, well, a degree of responsibility, I suppose, a, a commensurate responsibility, w- which is that they have to provide and uh, or take a bullet for their family. So their their life must be put on the line to protect their family, as well as their their wealth and their their um, livelihood must be directed towards providing for the family. So they might be given a degree of like uh, to, to be head of the family. You might say that's a privilege, but at the same time, they give them a commensurate responsibility. So there is there is balance you can say, in how Islam manages um, uh, kind of human affairs. Much like I often give the example of in England, um, you know, guns are illegal for people to own. Uh, this analogy wouldn't very, work very well in America where everyone can own guns. But guns are illegal to own. Um, most guns, most types of guns are illegal for people to own. But the police can go around with pistols, although most of them don't have pistols, but those that do have a pistol or gun, um, we wouldn't say they have privilege. Why not? Because their job is to take a bullet for the the citizens. They're meant to protect the citizens with their lives. Same with soldiers. Um, soldiers have access to weapons that that even in America, you know, you 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 know, you you can't get um, the average citizen can't get like types of rocket launchers and tanks, uh, functional tanks and and uh, uh, warplanes. Um, you wouldn't say the army has privilege because surely the army is made of citizens just like us. So why do they have privilege? Well, it's not privilege because with that. What, with that extra they've been given, they're given now extra responsibility, and so it creates balance. So when it, when Islam manages human affairs, it's always about um, balance, and so Islam is wasat. Islam is justly balanced. It's not left or right. It's not on that even on that spectrum. It's its own spectrum, and in that spectrum, it is balanced. So anyway, I just wanted to show people that yeah. that picture. <laughs> Perfect. Make that point. Perfect. Um, you know, there are some Muslims who, and I'm I'm. Seeing this more with some academics, but it's it's also been trickling down to you know to amongst the laity. I mean, they, they like to borrow um, or adopt language of some pedagogues from the left and right, and they're trying to Islamicize their concepts. So, for example, mm-hmm. you're seeing people, you're seeing some Muslims saying, "Look, there could be an Islamic feminism with." And what we mean by that is that we're advocating for neglected rights that women are are due, you know, uh, uh, are due uh, as stipulated by Islam. So they took out the whole gender egalitarianism aspect out of that definition. And you're even seeing some academics saying, uh, and you could Google this, and I'm not making this up, like Islamic secularism. And what they mean by that is that, well, you know, Islam doesn't, dictate literally everything you know it doesn't comment about traffic lights it doesn't comment about how to drive your car uh so there's a secular sphere that is permitted uh you know by islam and so they would argue that using such terminology would serve a benefit in trying to communicate in a language 
others could relate to. So to be fair to them, they're not explicitly advocating for feminism as we know feminism is commonly defined and for secularism as secularism is commonly defined. But they're trying to adapt that language and just add the qualifier Islamic before it. And, um, you know, what are your what are your thoughts, you know, about this? Okay, well, I'll say then, why don't they call themselves Islamic Satanists? Um, they could simply say that what we mean by that is Satanism is just the belief that Satan exists. Now, of course, as Muslims, we believe that Iblis exists or, or the Shiatin exists. So, so why can't we just call ourselves Islamic Satanists? Well, you say, uh, well, no, because the connotation is bad uh, because Satanism is understood to mean that you, you're, you're worshipping the devil, you're following the devil, you believe in the devil. Uh, it, you, you're, it's going to cause confusion. And of course, the Quran um, is, is mubeen. And as Muslims, we should reflect in our da'wah that to be mubeen, we must be clear about what we are calling to. And I say, well, then that's my criticism of those who say, let's call it Islamic feminism. It, it is associated. Islamic feminism is associated, or feminism rather, is associated with the Western Enlightenment ideals of, of um, identicality of treatment uh, of men and women uh, to some degree. Um, and as Muslims, we don't believe that men and women are identical. And so you can't argue that you, the family should be structured with both men and women having exactly identical um, co considerations in the family or roles in the family. Um, gender roles uh, are, are there for the, for the very reason that we have different genders in the first place or different sexes, um, to be more precise, for those who say, well, gender is a social construct. <laughs> anyway, um, so that so I say we, we're not purveyors of confusion. Uh, for the same reason you can't say, you know, let's, uh, let's be Islamic fascism. It simply means that as Muslims, we, we'd be better together united. It's like, well, okay, that might be your meaning. And yeah, being united is not against Islam. But fascism has really bad connotations because it's a Western term and the West understands it very distinctly. And the West's understanding of things tends to be pervading the whole world. And so, well, then the same criticism could be laid at the feet of feminism too, which is it has, a, it has, it was made by the, it was originated in the West. If you Google feminism, you're going to get tons of non-Muslim uh, writers writing books on it. Uh, why be a purveyor of confusion? Yeah. Why um, be a slave to the word? Why you know, be a slave to Western words in the first place? Yeah, I mean, Abdullah, this, this actually reminds me of a real case of, um, you know, and I'm not going to mention his name. Whoever knows, knows. But I mean, there, you know, one of, you know, I would say maybe like 10 or 15 years ago, there was a very popular Islamic speaker. And he would say that, you know, um, Islam encourages, Islam teaches terrorism. Why? Because there's an ayah in the Quran which says <laughs> that you strike terror uh, in the hearts of your enemy. And 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 I remember there were like two reckless brothers who were doing street dawah once, and uh, I think it was like maybe eight years ago or nine years ago. Um, and you know they're coming out saying, "Yeah, we we do believe in terrorism, right?" Uh, and, and so when you probe them, they'll be like, "Well, of course, we're not trying to say that you go and kill women and children on the street. We're talking about you know striking terror." in the hearts of combatants who are trying to hurt Muslims. It's like, man, what are you doing? Right. I mean, is this really wise? Uh, and, and, and so, I mean, this is, this is, and when it comes to Islamic feminism and, 
Islamic secularism. I mean, what what happens over time? Um, and I th- and I think that this is exactly what happened with those scholars who had some good intentions when they're when they did the same thing, introducing Islamic democracy. Um, you know, the original. Okay, fine. So you know, uh, just as in a, a democracy in a secular country, whereby things are open to voting except certain fundamentals. Similarly, you know, we can also believe that certain things could be voted on, except the fundamentals of Islam. And But the problem is, is that once someone introduces that, and then the terminology spreads, people are going to forget, uh, you know, what was the original intent of the person who introduced this term. Um, and, what, what, and if we're going to be using the same vocabulary as as non-Muslims uh, who are speaking from a completely radically different, you know, paradigm, then over time, things are just going to get muddled and it's just going to cause serious confusion, right? And, and another yeah. thing is, uh, you know, I am against, just as, you know, Muslims are against, in principle, should be against at least, um, adopting fringe opinions, right? Fringe definitions. I mean, words have meaning, Right. And, you know, if we're going to start adopting and concocting these fringe fringe definitions of words and start using them, um, you know, it's 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 highly irresponsible. And uh, I, I just find this, you know, phenomenon extremely concerning. And, um, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, I just hope uh, it doesn't gain any further traction. Um, well, to answer your uh, uh, there was a question you, you mentioned that I, um, I didn't address, which was. Uh, what to do with like like traffic light laws? They say like isn't that something which yeah is, um, yeah secularism is, yeah, yeah yeah is secular? Well, um, well actually no, uh, because um, so here's the thing: one, the 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 Quran Sunnah um, often commands certainly the those in charge, those who have authority, um, to look after the affairs of the people um, and to protect the affairs of the people, to be um, you know a shield for the people and so on and so forth. Um, there's quite a few many verses that talk about the ruler. Um, looking after the affairs of the people when um, they need some kind of collective activity to be organized to protect themselves. And in a sense, to protect themselves from each other as well, which is what the state does. Uh, And so you can derive from Islamic sources the necessity to have a traffic light system, but then the traffic light system is managed according to um, how cars work and uh, and the the, the, the roads and the infrastructure and so on and so forth. so the the that there should be a traffic light system is actually mandated um, uh, by ishtihad by extrapolation from the Quran and Sunnah, uh, uh, but the 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 means uh, or the styles of which that would look like uh, would be dependent on obviously uh, the nature of the things you're trying to manage in the first place. So what we what we found, for example, is that um, you know Caliph uh, Omar Radanhum uh, he. Uh, the the obligation for the state to distribute the funds of the Beit al-Mal, the treasury, um, obviously is something is, is a sunnah from the Prophet Muhammad, so an obligation upon where the state is obliged to provide funds for. However, when obviously the conquest of Persia, they learned that the Persian had a, a very uh, sophisticated counting system, the the Diwan, which was very efficient at distributing, uh, collecting funds and. Um, and and kind of helping the state know to keep track of those funds and where they should go. This doesn't concern um, 
the obligation Islam uh, of to to have a a, um, uh, it doesn't impinge or contradict the 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 oblig the obligation of Islam because it's just a means or or a style of fulfilling the obligation of Islam in 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 a manner that agrees or fits better the the particular context uh, judged by the fact that well you have to have accounting books and to distribute money this is factually the case that is more 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 efficient to do it by the Diwan system than it is to do it by um, simply an outgrowth of the Medinan model on, on a very large state now. So it was simply, okay, the, uh, Khalif Omar adopted the Dewan system. It didn't affect any of the obligations that, that was in the Quran or Sunnah, nor on, on, it didn't tell or dictate to Muslims who should receive money. It simply said, this is an efficient way of doing the same thing. So as Muslims, we can follow hikmah, right? Wisdom, which is, the wisdom is, on on the on the the how the how to of something you could say, but Islam def- decides for us the what should be done, and you know the why it should be done. So this is really the 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 kind of the difference between those things. So you can derive, uh, you know, tra- traffic laws um, from an initial Islamic basis because Islam would mandate in such a context that the state does. In, uh, impose traffic laws for people's protection um, as, an, as the most efficient way to facilitate travel. Because in Islam, the state has to facilitate the free movement of Muslims uh, about their business. But if they're if doing so, they hurt each other, then the state has to prevent that. And if the state has to prevent that by traffic laws, then that as the most efficient means, then they can do so. And I'll give you another verse of Quran, which illustrates this really, really amazingly, which is, the, there's a verse of Quran that talks about discharge your affairs by mutual consultation, yeah, by shorter, okay, often misquoted by people who are pro-democracy. But here's the problem here. Democracy is about the people making their own laws and deciding their own affairs. The Quran doesn't say decide your affairs by mutual consultation. It says discharge your affairs by mutual consultation, the affairs have already been decided for you. The Quran and Sunnah has the, oh, the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decided your affairs for you. It's already sorted out, it's already decided, it's already given to you. Now you have to implement those affairs, and you can do so by consultation using hikmah, using wisdom. So, likewise, with a traffic light system, that the state has to protect people from the violence of each other, from the danger of each other, has already been decided by the Quran and Sunnah, has already been decided by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The, the leader now uh, and his administration is in charge of, of deciding the best way or the most efficient way to do that in circumstances which are, objectively speaking, dangerous, such as, you know, wacky drivers on roads and, and, and no highway codes. So... That's why it all emanates from Islam. Everything would emanate from Islam because Allah has decided our affairs. Now it's up to us to um, collaborate. You know, like when you're given a, a work by, if you ever, ever you, you had a boss and your boss gave you uh, work or gave your team work and just said, produce this product, you would discuss with your team how you would produce the product. But that the product has to be produced has already been decided for you by your boss. So that's how the Islamic system doesn't have, there's no secular area, right? That Islam doesn't, doesn't deal with, it deals with everything. One last question, I'm done, I'm going to let you go. Um, 
Uh, yeah, because you know, uh, because I, I got to, I got to pre Maghrib. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, let me know if you could answer this in two minutes. If not, then you know that, that's not do it. Um, you know, a lot of Muslims have a take the good and leave the bad mentality when it comes to when it comes to all this, right? So, look, um, there are a lot of speakers. I like to listen to Jordan Peterson. I like to listen to this person. I like this to that person. I'll snatch. You know, I'll take the good arguments that they put forth for my benefit, and I'll use them in service of pushing my own Islamic views. Um, first of all, is this? Do you think that this is a good idea as a matter of principle? Um, and uh, I would imagine that your response will, if you say yes, it will be a conditional one. And if it is a conditional one, um, assuming you don't say no, then what? What would be some limits and guidelines that you would advise Muslims to take uh, doing this? And then, you know, then we'll, we'll, we'll just end this session uh, after you answer. Okay, so um, I guess I'm going to give some practical guidelines. So what I would say is, uh, well, look, you know, take the good and leave the bad is what we are, we, we're guided to do. Uh, so I can't disagree with that one. But what do you mean by good? And what do you mean by bad, right? Um, in essence, the good is what is defined by the Quran Sunnah. Right. Uh, so what the to be put it another way, the should and the shouldn't. What we should be doing, what we shouldn't be doing. Um, this has been decided by the Quran Sunnah. What is the good and bad? The values of actions can only be decided by uh, with relate to our purpose. I often give an example that you know, um, a good and bad can only be understood by by purpose. Like uh, I have a I have a a car. If the car works and gets me from A to B, it's a good car. If the car doesn't get me from A to B. There's no engine. There's no wheels. It's rusted. It can't even fit an engine. It's a bad car. Why? Because it doesn't fulfill its purpose. But then, I, then you have to know the intent, the purpose behind the thing to know whether it, what is good and bad is. Let's say you encounter alien technology, uh, you know, and a, a device, you know, and you ask, is it a good device or bad device? People say, I don't know. Um, what, what's it meant to do? Right. So, um, this is. This is, you know, how we define decide good and bad. Now, what do we mean? What uh, can we mean by taking the hikmah? Because the hadith by the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, which is um, the hikmah, is the lost property of the believer, right? So, you know, um, if we find it with the most, whoever finds it the most entitled to it. So, um, how do we determine what is hikmah? What is wisdom? Very simple. There are objective facts about reality, okay, and if it if we are told to do to achieve something in reality to achieve a goal, so let's just say, um, you know, uh, okay, let's say we're meant to fight again, we're meant to defend people from oppressors, let's say, and fight against the oppressors. Okay, so should we use swords, which we used at the time of the Prophet Muhammad, or should we use um, rifles? Let's just say, and I say, well, it's objectively the fact that the rifle is more efficient at achieving that objective of fighting than the sword. Also, it's objectively the fact that the enemy has rifles and you would be at a strong disadvantage with using the sword. So because these are objective facts, then we can demonstrate that it is objectively the case, it is more efficient to use the rifle uh, than the sword. And so therefore, it is hikmah to use then the, the sword. So hikmah is based on objective facts. So I'll give an example. Um, now, Jordan Peterson didn't derive this himself, but um, but he related something that psychologists know. So people dealing with procrastination, where they put off doing a task for many, many times. He said, okay, 
well, practice that he said he did, which he didn't invent, by the way, but he just relates it because he, that's his field, his profession. He said he told someone to um, that they have problems with being motivated in life. Now, it's objectively a fact that if you achieve something, if you do a good, uh, a, a, a good task that you're meant to be doing, um, you feel more motivated to journey to do all the tasks. That's an objective fact, okay? Uh, clinically observed. Okay. It's also objective fact that um, that people are more likely to do smaller, simple tasks than they do uh, more complicated tasks that have more, many more stages in it. Okay, so here you go. He said um, he told the person to clean his room. The person didn't want to do it. Didn't want to clean his room. Uh, couldn't do it. Okay, he said, all right then. Then just uh, just tidy up the clothes. He goes, okay, I can't do that. Okay, just um, uh, you know, uh, bring a, a vacuum cleaner and vacuum um, a, a part of your room. He said he doesn't doesn't want to do that. Okay, just vacuum around your wardrobe. Yeah, just around there. He said he made the task smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until you reach the part the the task which is so easy to do that they do it and then they feel that sense of accomplishment and then that they get a motivation to do more tasks. Okay, all this is objectively demonstrated and objectively the case of based on observation. So it is then hikmah, you could say, and I, that you can take from Jordan Peterson, although he didn't come up with it. You, you can take it from, um, in essence, you, you can use him as a, as a way to, to access other psychological literature produced by other people who did these studies. Um, you can take that as a wisdom to defeat uh, or help you defeat procrastination because it's based on uh, objectively, what is the most efficient way of achieving something in these circumstances, uh, according to factually observed uh, the factual uh, the factual observations of the case? That we can take, okay? Because as Muslims, we might have to overcome procrastination to pray, procrastination to uh, to go to Jummah, to procrastination to, uh, to 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 give da'wah, to do a whole bunch of things, uh, to go out and provide for our families. We have to overcome procrastination for to fulfill our obligations. And that's when the hikmah is useful because it's based on objective observations. However, when you have, let's say, Andrew Tate making arguments like, oh, you know, all women are like this and all women are like that. So you have to treat them like this, treat them like that. Say, well, is that based on, on factual observation of literally all women ever known in all human cultures, in all societies, uh, in, all, in all different um, time periods? Well, no. That's maybe your anecdotal experience based in Western society with a subset of women. Okay. So what he said is not factually the case because he's made a generalization. Likewise, as feminists who say, feminists who say all men are like this, or all men are pigs, all men are blah, blah, blah. You say, well, that's a generalization not based on a factual observation. Um, and many people believe that because they say, well, I've had a bad experience that resembles what that person said. So I'm going to now believe the generalization. That's bad. You say bad logic, as you, as you say, right? It's a, it is incorrect. It's not factually the case. You might have a bad experience with women or men. Um, you might uh, uh, hear someone say the same thing, uh, report to you the same experiences they've had. It doesn't mean that everything else they say, especially the generalizations, are true or accurate because they're not based on observation. That's not hikmah. This is now van speculation. All right. And so, so um, Andrew Tate might say that he, he treated a woman in, in such a derogatory way. Let's just say that, and she loved him for it, and she respected him, and she didn't run away. But if if you treat a woman with respect, she'll, she won't respect you, and she'll run away. This might be his particular experience with certain kinds of women that he encounters. 
um, in his life. But there are many women, as we know, uh, that the a man treats them with respect and they stay absolutely loyal and happy and content with the, with the, their husband. And therefore, Andrew Tate's advice is, is detrimental. But likewise, on the flip side, because he's just the mirror opposite of feminists, the feminists who say the same thing about men. They say, no, all men, if you give them what they want, they'll they'll basically um, walk all over you and uh, won't respect you. Uh, but there are many um, husbands who are very happy and content because their wives actually uh, give them their needs. But it's reciprocal. The man obviously gives the wife, wives her needs. So so the generalizations made and the, the, done, the speculations are not hikmah. They're not wisdom. Yeah, I, I mean, and that's just to stress the point, uh, Abdullah, you know, because at the end of the day, how is a Muslim going to differentiate between what is factual hikmah and not unless he has studied his religion, has a solid grounding in his faith first? He must know what Islam teaches about this given topic before he listens to non-Muslims speak about it. And I think what this presentation has also uh, shown us is that it's extremely critical that we understand the um, ideological underpinnings of people's different uh, of, of people's different views. We need to understand what assumptions they you know they're making. Uh, where are what are their views stemming from? Because it seems like we're doing a lot of Muslims are just superficially uh, thinking you know uh, assuming that these arguments uh, you know resemble Islam on the surface, not not realizing you know what is you know uh, you know underlying. In terms of the presumptions that are being made. Well, well, well to give a very simple formula for the, for the audience to, to, to end on, which is very simple, this, which is, um, uh, you know, we, we have naql, right? The the text that we get from the from Revelation. Uh, that tells us what to do and what our obligations and rights and responsibilities are. It tells us, okay, you have a family. Here's what you have to do for your family. Here's what you have to do as a son or as a daughter or as a uh, an employee. Or as a Muslim bearing witness to mankind, or as a Muslim uh, giving nasiya to the Muslim community, uh, and so on, so on, so forth. Here's what you're, here's what you're meant to be doing uh, and achieving. Okay, now then, Akal can take over and say, and here's the most efficient way to achieve those things. Now, you know, as long as it's not obviously contradicting the the objectives and the and the uh, the the things you need to be doing, and of course, like okay, when it comes to the salah, you, you you can't just say okay, I'm meant to be praying salah, so I, uh, that's all I need for, from from Now from Akal, I'll think about the most efficient way to do salah. No, because um, the salah, it, the, your your prayer obligation to prayer, it tells you you have to pray, and it tells you then here's what you have to be doing in the prayer to satisfy the prayer. So that obviously doesn't require efficiency to think about efficiency. Of course, of course, of course, you might think about efficiency of of um, how to use water in the best way to to wash yourself, you know. So, sometimes it was said that the Prophet Muhammad was able to do or do from one cup of water. Of course, um, that's, that's, that's pretty efficient. <laughs> if you can do it, you know, fine. If, if there's a YouTube video showing you how to do it, and then you can take that as a, as a great idea of efficiency, because as long as it satisfies the requirements that Islam says. However, um, the difference between nakal and akal is akal. Your intellect can help you. Um, in uh, by observing the world and, and obtaining objective facts as to how to achieve the, the objectives in the most efficient and efficacious manner to, to guarantee the highest chances of success uh, as well, uh, knowing the, the laws of physics and how things work based on objective observation. That's hikmah. But Islam has already decided all your affairs 
and what you have to do for all these affairs. The 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 akal or the int the the wisdom just takes over when in 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 basically um, finding the most efficient ways to do those affairs based on objective observation or an objective fact. So that's between the nakal obviously is where we get the what to do and what we have to achieve and the limits on the and the conditions and the akal can help us in observing the world to, to achieve. Well, he's seeing as these are the factual cases uh, and, and the objective observations of reality, of the laws of physics, the laws of reality itself, how do I achieve the most efficient way and the most efficacious way of achieving these, ob these obligations I'm told to do in the manner I'm told to do them uh, within these laws of the universe that Allah has created? That's where what we call wisdom. Brother Abdullah, for you know sharing your 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 insights today. Uh, I'm you know I'm, I'm very confident that our listeners will benefit very greatly from it. May Allah reward you, and uh, you know definitely looking forward to having you again on, on blogging theology so that we can discuss more of these uh, you know uh, ideologies in some more depth. Inshallah, Taala. Inshallah, Barakallahu Fikum uh, for having me on on this uh, blog platform. And Inshallah, yeah, we look forward to further discussions and uh inshallah um yeah um as i said like uh, if anyone wants any further information about some of these my presentations and these lectures uh you can go to my uh website abdullah al um, com. i'll be linking to um, it in the description box inshallah yeah and also um we also do debates as well um uh, i want to plug muslim debate initiative uh we'll be doing public debates uh well we've been doing public debates for many years but also, um, yeah, check out the latest debates that will be coming up as well on the muslimdebate.org, inshallah. Perfect, perfect. With that, I'm going to bid you and our uh, listeners uh, farewell. And assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.